Welcome to the original and the best Power Hour with Alex Burr and Dylan Hughes, members and podcast of the Running Book Podcast Network. Another edition of the Alex and Dylan Basketball Power Hour. I am once again joined by my co-host Dylan Hughes. Dylan, um, you saw the shot Luca hit last night. I would just like to know, in the tradition of throwing curveballs when you're expecting fastballs, how many times would you have to take that shot before you hit it? Okay, if it was in a practice, I think I could hit it pretty early on. Because, and, and listen, you have seen me play basketball firsthand. And I will defend myself in saying that Zach Griffith's court is not regulation. Okay. There's a, there's a little slant in there. Like you got the, the one of the corners is just right up against a bunch of bushes and it's definitely not the same length. So listen, I, my three point shot was as cold as it could get. It, it was, it was awful. And my, I, I have those stretches where the, the in-game shooting is not there. And so I talk a lot of shit before the game about how good my shot is. And then all of a sudden when I have to prove it, it sucks. But if you watch me before the game or after the game, it doesn't matter. Either one, as long as it doesn't count, that's when I start hitting. But, I mean, I, you know, I, I could throw up some uh, some crazy shots and they'll go in, so... I think I think I could give myself five shots and it, it's going in five. Wow. But it has to it has to be when it doesn't matter. <laughs> the the no pressure situation is where I thrive. So, Dylan Hughes, you're basically admitting to America that you are, in fact, a choker. You 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 can't live up to the spotlight. That's that's basically what you're saying, Dylan Hughes. Yeah, that's what I'm saying. <laughs> you got to love a man who has who is confident enough to admit that he he has he has faults. And is a choker. I can't. This is the. This must be the first time in recorded human history that someone has admittedly called themselves a choker. Wow. Um, <laughs> I will be. I'll say. I'll take 50, 50 attempts to hit that because just the leaning forward aspect of it. Like, did you see that that one angle? He was almost like parallel to the ground. It was crazy. One of the craziest shots I've ever seen. It was frankly one of the luckiest shots I've ever seen. I don't care how much you say you practice it. Like the okay, Jalen Sugg shot. Yeah, it's plausible. You're taking a lot of half-court shots in practice, whatever, whatever, whatever. Um, why would you go out of your way to practice a leaning in floater from the from the left wing? Why? I, I, that just that just doesn't make sense to me, Dylan Hughes. Well, I will say that Rick Carlisle was interviewed and he he said he doesn't bet Luca anymore on making shots because he always makes them. So I wouldn't put it past Luca to just be sitting in the gym all day practicing crazy stuff like that. You know, you know what I think? I know I've railed against Larry Bird comparisons on this podcast before. He might be the Larry Bird of this generation in that he hits the craziest bullshit anyone's ever seen. I think that that might be the way he's the successor to Larry Bird. Not in like, you know, oh, you know, he's white. He grabs a lot of rebounds, scores a lot of points, gets a lot of assists. No, he just hits the craziest fucking shots and we just have to be like, all right, it went in. You know, and at some point, listen, I believe we all agree. Luca's a very good player, but <laughs> I just I don't think he practiced it. I just don't think he went out of his way to practice that shot. 
Well, you know, you can believe what you want to believe, Alex. That's, you know, they do call me the, the hater du jour. Um, <laughs> let's get on to the, um, to the podcast, though. It was, a, it was a riveting discussion, Dylan. It was a very riveting discussion we just had. That's why I don't like to ask you those questions before we, uh, before we start the pod. But there's a lot of stuff that happened in the NBA this week. A lot of it. And two injuries or two things we aren't probably going to talk about a whole lot. I just want to mention Zach Levine is going to miss about 10 to 14 days being in the health and safety protocols. And that's going to be huge for the bulls. They're kind of in a tailspin. Um, The other one I kind of want to mention, and Dylan will probably, I'll let you touch on this one for a sec. James Wiseman tore his meniscus. He's going to be out for the rest of the season. So um, it's a tough break for the rookie just to be out for the rest of the season, the way that he's going to be like, it's, I feel bad for James Wiseman. Yeah, he's had a tough go at it this year. And, I mean, the Warriors are very clearly better when Kevon Looney's on the floor. And once he got healthy, that became very, very clear. But, you know, you hate to see a rookie get hurt because, you know, these are this is, this is the learning phase for him. And whether he sucks or not, you know, this would be a good time to start figuring some stuff out. And I mean, he got the majority of the season in, which is good. But either way, it's uh, it's tough to have a knee injury, especially early on like this. Yeah, we. I hope that he has a speedy recovery, and that I hope he doesn't do the quick fix meniscus um tear because that's wrecked a lot of guys' careers. Like I feel like I think Russell Westbrook had the quick fix one way back when he tore his meniscus and he came back for the playoffs, and mm, that yeah. might be. I might explain a lot of things, Don Hughes, but um, the the real injury we got to talk about is Jamal Murray against the Warriors. They were down seven, goes up in the paint, uh, trying to fight their way back, get it to five, and he is grabbing his knee. And it turns out next morning he's torn his left ACL, and obviously will be out for the rest of this season. And there's a really good possibility he's out till the playoffs next year because in a normal NBA calendar, playoffs are starting today. <laughs> right right about now so um we were kind of talking about this before the pod dylan you don't think this will have as big of an impact as maybe i think it will what do you, what kind of impact do you think the jamal murray injury will have on the nuggets well the thing that's lucky for the nuggets is they happen to have one of the best backup point guards in the league and monte morris and a guy that has already gotten a lot of playoff experience so i don't think that like at least you're not dropping down to some scrub having to fill in starting uh, unit minutes. Like you have a very reliable backup guard. The problem is, I mean, after getting Aaron Gordon, the Nuggets were to me at least a finals contender, like especially with the way the Lakers have been dealing with injuries right now. I mean, you never know, you know, what, what it's going to look like later on in the season for them. And when the Nuggets have like two all-star level guys and then two other guys that are just awesome off-ball presences, I mean, I thought they had a really good shot again into the finals. And especially the way Murray played last year in the playoffs. I mean, he, you know, he's what really got them over the edge in that Utah series. And without that, you know, they wouldn't have made it to the West finals. So He's definitely a huge loss, and he he definitely lowers their offensive ceiling quite drastically, I would say. But thanks to that Aaron Gordon injury, I still think that they are very well suited to make uh, a good impact in the in the postseason. And I mean, 
again, I don't want to rely on Michael Porter Jr. so much, but like he just continues to have these games where you just can't like you can't doubt what he can do. It's just that he doesn't always bring it all the time. But I mean, he's just such a great fit next to Jokic. I mean, he he's seriously like such an ideal type of player offensively. Like he's he's a great rebounder. He's a very good shooter and he's just huge. I mean, he's he makes life really easy for Jokic. And then you got Aaron Gordon, who's not as good of a shooter, but he's a better defender, good cutter. So you have two very tall men <laughs> that have a lot of length and can do a lot on, you know, both ends of the floor, more so Gordon on the, on defense. But, I mean, I, st- I still think they have a good team. It's, it's not – it's probably not, like, elite level anymore, but I still think – I still think they're fine. Yeah, I mean, I guess you could kind of piecemeal together the production, right? Like, I feel like Gordon – I think we both agree Gordon's a good passer. And Gordon and Morris can probably make up for the – for the assist production that you might lose from Murray, although Murray is no, no one's idea of like a true point guard, but I mean, the scoring is just where it's going to hurt the most because he just, to me, every time I watch the nuggets this year and like going back to last playoffs, even, and this is the like consistent improvement that you and I have both been jonesing for, for Murray for a while is that he's finally doing it. Like he's doing it off ball, right? He's doing it on ball. The like elements of production that Jamal Murray can bring to you scoring wise there aren't a lot of guards who have his skill set where it's both complementary and you can be the lead ball handler for stretches. Like there's not a lot of people that can replicate that skill, right? Like Michael Porter Jr. is probably one of the best off ball players in the league on offense. And I can't believe I'm saying that, but he probably is right. Like he's been very, he's averaging 18 and eight this year, basically on 54% shooting from the field. So he's been ridiculous on offense and the step forward has been needed or the step forward he's taken has been very needed, especially now they're going to need him to be more on ball creation. And I, I listen, I'm not doubting Michael Porter's talents. I think he's one of the most talented players in the league. I've, I've been on the record as saying this, but if he can, like if he can put it all together and be off the dribble, create shots for them, I think they can hell. I still think they can make the finals, but it's going to be a lot harder without Jamal Murray. I think that, the West this year has been really in flux, right? Like we don't, we're going to find out how much we believe in the jazz later. And I don't think either of us really believe in the suns that much. So that, and the Lakers haven't been healthy. So that leaves really the nuggets and the Clippers ironically as the two most dependable teams in the playoffs right now. So in the playoff picture, so it's going to be interesting to see how this shapes out for the nuggets. I feel. Yeah. I mean, I mean, I'm not going to completely doubt them as a finals contender. It's just I think it lowers their chances. But as many good teams as there are in the West, I mean, there's a lot of issues with really every team. And, you know, it's just – it's going to be it's going to be really interesting to watch how the – like after the first round of the playoffs, I feel like we'll have a decent idea of what's going to happen. But, I mean, it really – it just hinges on the Lakers to me. Because I still think a healthy Lakers team is the best team in the West. But, hell, their two best players are out. (laughs) I mean, what can you do? And, I mean, the good thing for them is Schroeder and Drummond, at least regular season-wise, like that's not a bad top two. You know, like they can tread enough water to be fine. But, obviously, in the playoffs, that's not going to last. And even if you just have one of those guys hobbled, especially if it's LeBron, though, 
And LeBron has been Superman to this point. So it's going to be interesting to see how he recovers from a high ankle sprain. And like a high ankle sprain is not anything to mess around with, no matter who you are. That's some of those things take months and it's still, I mean, it still gives him plenty of time to get back, you know, before it gets too late, but you know, he, he may have to, to step back a little bit and play a little bit more stationary. So it'll be interesting to see how that plays out for sure. He'll be finally in like the late stage Magic Johnson portion of his career where he just takes his ass to the block every single time and just creates from there. I mean, Frank Vogel, real quick aside, coach of the year candidate. Like the Lakers have been six and seven without LeBron and AD. And that's not a small thing. Like they've been playing real teams. It's not like they've been playing the Thunder every time out, right? Like shout out to the Thunder who are currently on an eight game losing streak. And that streak will probably balloon in the next two weeks. Um, the Lakers have been playing really well and we are so, okay, this is a good time as any to announce this. We are going to skip the Rockets, the magic and the Lakers for our last time through Lakers, because we want to get a good big picture view of the teams before we go into the playoffs. And the way this Lakers season is going, we're probably not going to get that during the regular season. It's probably going to come in the first round. And then the, the Rockets and the magic kind of goes without saying, um, <laughs> what is, what else is there to say about Kelly Olenek? Right. Except that he's a dirty fucking player. Ayo. Um, but I think that those teams were going to skip. But for the Nuggets, if so, right now, the four or five would be Nuggets Lakers. And if LeBron's LeBron and AD both aren't all the way back, I think that's huge because one of the things that was really successful for the Lakers against the Nuggets last year was Dwight Howard. Dwight Howard was the key to that series, in my opinion. Not JaVale, not anyone else. Dwight Howard, because Dwight for everything that people say about him, he is still one of the best athletes in the history of the NBA and is still one of the best athletes in the NBA currently. He did a, he like, yes. Did he maybe do some Bill Ambeer tactics to Jokic? Possibly. But he did. He held Jokic in check. He held him and AD helped hold Jokic in check. And if you have half AD and you have no Dwight, I think, I think there's a good chance the Nuggets can eliminate the Lakers in the first round. Yeah, that would be the best chance for for the Nuggets because – and the standings are still fluid, but it, it if that ends up like that, I mean, the Nuggets – because even if the Lakers are healthy, are they really going to be healthy? I mean, you know, again, you're going to have your two best players just coming off injury with likely within the – within, you know, just a couple weeks. And sometimes it takes more than a couple weeks to get back. So if, if they're able to take the Lakers out round one – all of a sudden their their pathway gets a lot easier. And the, the playoffs gets a lot more interesting because then you have all the teams, you have the prospective favorite off the board. The Clippers have been on fire lately. They're currently like, they're right outside of two. So actually, I don't have the actual NBA standings pulled up, but they're not very far behind Utah either. So it's really right now, Utah, Phoenix, and Clippers are one, two, and three. And then Denver and LA are right by each other at four or five. And then Dallas is a game back of Portland for six. So it's going to be real interesting playoff race the rest of the season. Um, San Antonio is 10th, like we probably could have predicted. They've been really bad lately. So the Western Conference playoffs is going to be fascinating. But um, speaking of the San Antonio Spurs, this is a good time I need to transition to. LaMarcus Aldridge had an irregular heartbeat in the last game that he played on April 10th. And today... He announced he is retiring from the NBA. Dylan Hughes, we have been um, 
harsh in our coverage of LaMarcus this year, but it had nothing to do, you know, with any off the court stuff. He just, he wasn't as good as he used to be, but Dylan Hughes, LaMarcus Aldridge, very good player. Sad to see him leave the NBA, even in his depleted state. Yeah, man. I mean, he was, and we, we talked about him. I probably was last week or two weeks ago when he went to the Nets. Um, I mean, he's, he's been one of the, one of the bet he was one of the best players of the 2010s. Like he was, he's making one of those all NBA teams, you know? I mean, he was, he was one of the best power forwards, if not the best for a good handful of years. And, you know, it's, it's, it's kind of sad. It didn't work out as much in San Antonio as we thought when he went there. I mean, it, it seemed like he was going to be like the next Tim Duncan, <laughs> at least that's what San Antonio wanted. And it just didn't work out that way. And, of course, it didn't help that Kawhi ended up leaving, but um, yeah, it's sad. And and I actually wanted to see it through with Brooklyn because as much as we criticized that, you know, he I thought he actually played fine. It, he was actually playing decent at center. He was protecting the room pretty well. So I was actually kind of excited to see how that played out. But uh, obviously, he made any you know the best decision for himself. And I mean, I was just talking to my friend about this the other day about how. Like heart hearts are very hard to figure out, and these things can pop up very randomly, and a lot of times it's hard to detect. And as soon as that pops up, man, like you you got to realize that you could be close to something big. So playing in the NBA is is obviously a very taxing thing for your body, and especially as a big guy having to take all that beating down low. So uh, obviously has to retire i mean no one can blame it he ended he went to the hospital for it too it's not like it was just a mm-hmm. oh my heart's feeling weird i'm gonna retire like he was it's a very serious thing so you know I'm, I'm happy he was able to make it this far without having any any bad problems with his heart and hopefully moving forward they're able to keep that under control yeah, I would just like to shout out the 2014-15 or the 2013-14 Portland Trailblazers team. One of my favorite teams of all time. I don't know why I was so attached to this team. They were on TNT a lot. That might that might be the reason why. And I stayed up late a lot. But like they had Dame, Wes Matthews, Nick Batum, Aldridge, and Robin Lopez as their starting five. And those those guys all led the league in minutes as a starting five because they had no bench behind them. But Lamarcus was just automatic from the mid-range, right? Like even in the later years, you couldn't criticize him for shooting twos because, yes, he probably should have shot more threes, right? But even he was making, like, 50% of his long twos. It doesn't matter. He, like, he legitimately, like, behind Dirk and Chris Paul is probably the, like, he was in the top three of mid-range shooters of the last decade. And you're right. I'd probably have him on my second team all 2010s. He was that good. He led Portland to a lot of success and then got to San Antonio and helped lead them to a lot of success. So he was very good throughout the whole lot. Like, I mean, if you're good for like nine of the 10 years of a decade, you've accomplished something. And I think that it's going to suck because I think we're going to forget about LaMarcus Aldridge because a lot of people wouldn't appreciate the nuances in his game, but he, to me is an integral. You can't tell the story of the 2010s. you have to mention LaMarcus somewhere, right? Like he took down him and Dame took down a Rockets team with a a burgeoning James Harden. And then Dwight Howard, who was still pretty much in his prime and LaMarcus ate those Rockets for lunch in 2014. I think in the first two games, he combined for like almost 90 points. 
like he was on like he was unstoppable in those games and you know it's gonna suck because no one's gonna remember him because like i mean how many people remember joe johnson joe johnson and Lamarcus Aldridge basically had to say, funny enough, Joe Johnson's trying to come back. And if a team signs him out, I'll, I'll be shocked. But um, yeah, Lamarcus Aldridge to me, just one of the most entertaining players for me, at least. I know his game wasn't for everybody, but I just loved watching that mid range jumper going every single time. Well, you know, power forwards that shoot mid range jumpers, that that's my love language right there. So, so that's, that's my guy, man. I, I mean, I, I grew up on LaMarcus Aldridge, so it, uh, it, I think it, like his career was definitely spoiled a little bit by the past couple of years in San Antonio, where it was just very clear that he wasn't really working out there anymore. Um, but, you know, still, still had a, an excellent career. It sucks that he has to go out this way, but at least he went out in his terms and at least he's, you know, in good health. So that's, that's really all we can hope for. Um, Let's awkwardly segue out of that into our teams for the week. So in case you need a reminder, we did switch our teams. So if you came into this expecting the Bucks, apologize. But we are we're here talking about Dylan Hughes's Indiana Pacers instead. We'll talk about them second. First up, we have the Cleveland Cavaliers. And then the last, we have the Utah Jazz. So let's go ahead with the Cavs. They are currently 20 and 34. They are sixth in lottery odds at this moment in time. This is important to note this time of year as teams are um, fighting for lottery odds. So last Thursday, they absolutely destroyed the Oklahoma City Thunder, who again are admired in an eight-game losing streak, 129 to 102. They then got their brakes blown off of them by the Raptors, 135 to 115, got beaten by the Pelicans in a very short-handed game for the Cavs that's very damning for the Pelicans, uh, 116 to 109. And then last night they defeated the Charlotte Hornets 103 to 90. So Dylan Hughes, before we get to our big picture questions, um, anything, you notice anything different this time watching the Cavs from the first time we watched them? Okay. I have an obscure comment. I just can't, I can't let it go. Oh no. Is this, this, this is tough for me to say. Cause like, he's a good player. Like he's done good things this week that I watched, but I just get so distracted. I I was having a tough time staying focused because I was just so fascinated watching Dean Wade move. Like this dude, I'm sorry, he's just a he moves like a weirdo. Like he he runs like he just learned how to run recently. Like he's he's very tall and his back is like very straight when he runs. His arms are like always kind of down and he more like shuffles than like runs. He takes very short, choppy steps, and like he never stops moving, which is usually something I would I would be happy about. But it's like he's just moving to move. Like there's not really a lot of intention behind it. And watching him move around is is just like it's just very odd, and it's just something that stuck out to me. I should have known you would have Dean Wade thoughts. I should have, I should have, he does stick out like a sore thumb on a, on a game. It doesn't help when him and Kevin Love are in at the same time because they kind of look similar, but, and they're like the same height. I mean, Love is a little bit bigger, obviously, but like when they're, you know, shuffling their feet on defense, you can't really tell the the weight difference there, but Dean Wade's kind of good. I think that he's a, he's an interesting young prospect, but let's go ahead. I mean, and- yeah, like I, I like, again, it's tough for me to criticize the dude when he's knocking down threes like no one's business. But and also another Cavs thing real quick. I always get a little bit nervous when you got three white guys on the floor. 
because and, and listen, the Pacers, you could have the same conversation. Trust me. But the Cavaliers at any time could put Del Vadova out there, Dean Wade, Kevin Love, Isaiah Hartenstein. It's just it's way, way too much Caucasian, man. And it's I think it speaks volumes to the some of the Cavs issues. Uh, we didn't we didn't even see Dylan Windler this week, Dylan Hughes. If you can run a full five team squad of white boys, like you need to go to college, like just, just relegate yourself to college for a week and then come back to us. There, there was way too much deli in the games that I watched, but Sexton um, hasn't played the last two games. Yeah. I, don't, I don't know exactly what he's at with at the moment, but um, Garland played last night and I thought he played well. And that, that'll lead me to my first big picture question. Dylan Hughes can Colin Sexton and Darius Garland make it in the league together. They're both slight. They're both, I would say, I would say they're both electric. I think they're both really good. But do you think that they can both make it together playing in the league? Well, here's two, here's what I look for nowadays. Are you a team that has two creators? That's that's the starting point I need. If you look at every single good team in the league, they have two creators. Off the dribble guys, they can get their own shot or they can get a shot for someone else. And that's what you get in those two guys. And sure, like the defense, you know, you're going to have issues maybe, but I think you can build around that. I mean, we, we talk about guard defense a lot on this pod. Like it just doesn't really matter that much anymore. If you surround them with good wings, they can defend and someone that can protect the rim, which they have in Jarrett Allen, like you're fine. And I, I just like watching both of these guys. They, they are good at creating. I, the one thing I am concerned about is they're better at creating for themselves than others. Like Garland is definitely more of like a, a Kyrie type of guy. I'd say he's a guy that's really good at getting his own shot. As far as creating for others, you know, it may take him some time to develop that. And I think Sexton's getting better with the passing, but he's definitely still kind of like a, a head down to the basket type of guy. So that I'm a little bit interested to see if, if they're able to work together when they're both kind of shoot first type of guys. But I mean, I, I have no problem having two point guards together. I think that's actually good in today's league. So I am, I'm bullish on that duo. Yeah. I think they could work, but I think you need a lot of defense behind you. Right. I think so. Okay. So obviously I said there's six in the lottery odds. If they jump into the top four, and let's just say they miss out on the first pick and the first team selects Cade Cunningham, this team is in desperate need of an Evan Mobley kind of guy. Like, mm. just a guy with some, like, like hell, I know you say don't draft for need, but they don't need another guard. <laughs> like, they either need a wing or a, a big. And I think if they could get Cade, it would be the best case scenario for everybody involved because then he eases his way into the league and he has Sexton and Garland there to finish plays and he has Love and he has Allen. And I think that's part of the calculus. Like, obviously, we can't we, – the next question we have, we can't base our future cores off of guys who could play there because the lottery odds are so fucked. But I think that it's very interesting to see. I like those two guards individually. I think Sexton, to me, kind of reminds me of Mitchell a lot. I think that – Donovan Mitchell I think Mitchell's obviously better right now because he's obviously been in the league longer but I think that those two guys just are very dynamo individual scorers and I think that the fact that Sexton is shooting 48% from the field on this team is fucking remarkable <laughs> like he should not be shooting this well for, like he's only shooting only 35% from three but how many of those are catching shoots 
I would probably venture to say like one and a half. He's shooting four, 4.4 4 a game. So 1.5 catch and shoots. If you're shooting 35% from three on mostly pull-ups, I can kind of live with that. I think that he definitely, I, I would not trust Sexton to be a lead creator, but I think Garland can get there. I like, I like Garland's game. I think he's got a lot of IQ there. I think there's something legitimate there where he can become the guy that leads your offense. It, Kyrie might be a good way to put it because he could be, I don't think he's like a pure creator, like a, like, let's just say Mike Conley kind of guy, but I think he could be, you know, average seven assists a game for you. Something like that. I think that's there. So I, I would tend to agree that they can work, but I think they need, they need defensive help on the back line and adding Jared Allen to that equation is a huge, huge help. Yeah. And I'm interested to see where they go with Larry Nance in the offseason. I think if you plugged Larry Nance into that starting lineup, I think you would have a lot of things solved because he's just a great off-ball player and he's a very good athletic defender. So I think he would fit really well with what they have. It's just the whole Kevin Love question, which we'll get to. But, yeah, getting a, getting a, um, a wing in the draft would be great. And I don't think it has to be Cade. Again, I don't know much about the guys after the, the top three, really, um, except for our Baylor boys. But, I mean, Cade, Cade would obviously be great. But I, I know there are some small forwards down on the list a little bit. So, definitely don't get a guard. <laughs> I mean, I'm definitely not, you know, draft for, draft for fit. But you can't, you can't draft Suggs when you got these guys unless you want to trade one of them. So, yeah, if they can get a small forward or, you know, whatever to plug into that, the middle of that lineup, I think they'd be set. Yeah. And let's, let's just go ahead and move on to the next question because I feel like that's a good segue into the next question. So you have, you have Sexton, you have Garland, you have Okoro, and you, Isaac Okoro, and you have Jared Allen. Those four guys are very, are four very solid young players. I think you could make an argument that's one of the best young cores in the league just because how well Jared Allen's been playing. I love, I mean, listen, this is, this podcast might be the Jared Allen fan club between the two of us, but so, okay. I asked you to rank these young cores as presently constituted presently, because again, we can't, we can't like say, Oh, if this guy, if this team adds Cade, <laughs> they'll be the top, right? Like it's, we can't do that because we're in 2021 land. We're not in 2022 yet. So rank these cores. And I, I'm sure you already did, but Cleveland, Detroit, Oklahoma City, Minnesota, and Orlando. So I'm assuming Cat is not included in yes. Young Core. Um, I, I'm still, I'm still going to go with Minnesota number one. Interesting. Just because of Anthony Edwards. I think out of all the players on these teams, Anthony Edwards has the best potential to be a superstar. And – we can get cute and 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 talk about all these guys that could be stars or very good players. I don't care about that. I'm going for star superstar potential. And everything I've seen out of Anthony Edwards, including him not knowing who Alex Rodriguez is. That's it, great. I mean, th- how could you not want to root for that guy for 20 years, you know? But I mean that I, I think solely having him, I, I think He's I seriously think he has a great chance of being a superstar or at least an all-star. And I like a lot of the other guys they have on the team too. I mean, I like McDaniels a lot. I've talked about a Kogi. Um Jared you Culver. Won't, <laughs> you won't quit. You won't quit a Kogi. 
You won't quit I, a Kogi. I, I won't. Listen, man, he's he's going to be Marcus Smart, okay? You just got to give him time. Um, and also, Lou Dort is also going to be Marcus Smart. So there's going to be there's going to be a litter of Marcus Smarts in the league. <laughs> it's it's we got a we got a bright future for us here. Uh, <laughs> but um, Jarrett Culver, uh, I'm giving him like a year or two left, but I'm definitely worried about him at the moment. But I I still think he's got some some upside. Um, and then, you know, Nas Reed, like there's, there's a lot of a nice little pieces on this team. Um, so that's my number one. And then who, what can the rest of your list? Let's do the rest of your list too while we're at it. So I went with Orlando too. Interesting. Because listen, it's easy to oh. hate on right now, but they got John Isaac and Markel Fultz. I didn't even like, think to include them. That totally yeah, changes the rankings. <laughs> Yeah, that's I mean, that, those are two very good starters. And I don't know if Fultz can be an all star, but I think Isaac probably could once his offense comes along. I mean, before he got hurt, he was really starting to put things together. And I mean, he's going to be like all defense for his whole career. So it just comes down to is he going to be able to create his own shot, which I think I think he can. He, he was really starting to show that. And then even outside of that, you know, Wendell Carter Jr., I still got some faith in. Chumo Kiki, our boy. So, uh, and I'm I'm not going to throw Cole Anthony into that group, but I guess he technically has a chance of being a decent NBA player. And then, and, and then I went Cleveland number three because I like Sexton and Garland, and and they've got some nice other pieces, but it's just when you compare the best two on Orlando to the best two on Cleveland, I just I'm going to take Orlando. And and Detroit and I don't Detroit's last on this list, but I like Detroit's future. Like I think they did a really good job in the draft this year. Um, so I I, I like what they have. I mean, Killian Hayes is back, so I'm kind of excited to watch. I think we have them next week, don't we? I think so. Yeah, yeah, so, we do. Yeah, so I'm excited to keep watching these young guys and and uh, of course our boy Sadiq Bay is knocking down threes like no one's business. So. Yeah, I despite putting them last, I, I still like what they have. So okay, so you have Minnesota one, Orlando two, Cleveland three, um, OKC four, and then Oh, I forgot about OKC. Uh, yeah. OKC is after Cleveland. Oh wait, shoot. See that messed it up because I completely blanked on OKC. <laughs> I I'll put OKC before Cleveland because I think Shay Shay Dort and then all the random other guys they have. And by the way, I was looking at box scores this morning and I so badly wanted to tweet at Sam Presti. I don't even know if he has a Twitter, but I so badly wanted to tweet, Hey, Sam Presti, you know, Moses Brown's been playing pretty well lately. You might as well just cut him. Cause uh, you know, good players are clearly don't belong on this team anymore, but I, I refrain from that. Listen, it, I'm I'm proud of your growth, Dylan. I really am. You know, it, it means a lot to watch, to watch you grow. And not want to tweet at Sam Presti, you know, it, it, it warms my heart really. But so, okay. So I'll go, I'll go list mine. So I'm moving Orlando to one just because I think Fultz and Isaac, those two potential, like even with Fultz not having a jump shot, like I think that the potential is sky high. And then you add Chuma and you add Wendell who Wendell's looking a lot better in Orlando. And that's, we're going to watch a lot of, I'm going to try to watch a lot of Orlando to compensate for us not talking about them and bring them up on the pot as much as possible. But 
yeah, Wendell's looking really good in Orlando. So you have that foursome right there. Then I had I had OKC too, just strictly because I love Shea. And you know, you know the real reason I had OKC. Uh, they were one. You know the real reason I had OKC one, because Poku. <laughs> I'm more and more convinced every time I watch this guy. He he is going to figure it out. He is going to be a superstar, and no one is going to know how to stop this guy. And I I'm just convinced. I had Cleveland three. Because I think that Sexton and Allen is just a hell of a foundation. And then you add Garland and Okoro. I think that the surrounding pieces aren't there, right? Like I think the Minnesota has more pieces that are useful, but I think the pieces that are in Cleveland are very like, are going to be good within the next couple of seasons. And they're going to be very good. Like Jared Allen's good now. And Colin Sexton is good now. And Darius Garland is very close to being good now. And Okoro if Okoro figures it out on offense, he's going to be making 25 million a year. <laughs> like we, I love Isaac Okoro. This is a very pro Okoro podcast too. I remember we raved about him last time, but then I have Minnesota fourth. I think Edwards is a bright spot and I like McDaniels, but I don't like McDaniels as much as I like, you know, Garland or I, hell. I don't like McDaniels as much as I like Lou Dort. So I think that, there's a very clear differentiating line and Minnesota is going to add talent. And then Detroit was last. I love, I love Sadiq Bay. I love, I love Isaiah Stewart. I love the way that guy plays basketball. And it, apparently he's shooting threes now, which is going to be an interesting thing to watch for when we watch Detroit next week. But I mean, Killian Hayes, I need to see more. I, we haven't seen him at all. I know I haven't willingly seeked out any Detroit games other than the week we watched them. And, but I mean, like they, they're doing a lot of good second draft stuff too. Like I want to see what they do with Dennis Smith jr. Right. If they can turn Dennis Smith jr's career around, then I'll be more invested in the Pistons. Like I, I like how they're approaching this, how they're approaching their team building. I think that's a fascinating aspect. I think this is a real fascinating discussion here on like what we value. I think, I think it was a good, it was a good little discussion. Um, anything else on young cores, Dylan Hughes, before we move on to our last Cavs question, you know, uh, I, I have a, I imagine that this summer is going to be heavy young core discussion, especially after the draft. So I think we can, we can uh, save it for them. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. And especially after um, Sam Presti, after the Timberwolves win the lottery and Sam Presti trades the Houston pick and the, <laughs> and their own pick to, to Minnesota and just evenly distributes the young talent. Sam Presti holds all the means of acquiring young talent at this point. I think as a monopoly, frankly, it's disgusting. You know, um, you know, what's funny is, is like, they have so much draft capital that what, it, I mean, it depends what happens on this draft, but it would be interesting to see if Minnesota got desperate, if they lost and was just like, Oh, this is probably a good time to trade cat. And they're just like, Hey, okay. See, um, I know you probably don't want to be good next year, but shit, you could have Carl Anthony towns you're probably not going to ever have anything better in the draft than that. So here you go. You know, it's, it's, it's an interesting, interesting thing to watch out for. It's kind of like that, like, you know, NFL draft, like, Oh, first round picks are just like this end all be all like NFL draft picks are more valuable than NBA draft picks just because of the way salary structures work and whatnot. But at the same time, like what first round pick is ever going to get you Matthew Stafford? You know what I mean? Like what first round pick, like you're, you're basing it all on potential and what a guy can be. And I, if you're going all in, what's the harm in throwing away one first round? Like 
really the the Rams only traded one first round pick for Stafford. They traded the other one to get off of Jared Goff, which is um, <laughs> interesting. But yeah, I I mean like that's the thing about the draft. You're betting on potential and what a guy can be, and oftentimes not what a guy is. So I I think it, that's an interesting way to view it, Dylan. Because yeah, OKC can't get a guy as good as Cat. So it'll be interesting to see what happens because I think Cat is a prime get traded in the offseason guy. I think he, I think he's done in Minnesota. I think we both think that. But um, let's go ahead and move on to our last big picture question. And Kevin Love, one of the last remaining vestiges of the 2016 team, Delhi came back. So I don't, I don't know if that counts the same way. But um, he's playing and he's bombing threes and he's getting it looks like he's playing well from the games I've seen him in but right now 11 points um, 6 rebounds and 37.5% from 3 on 6 attempts in the game which this team sorely they sorely need shooting of any sort but if you were Kobe Altman right and you let's just say you weren't you were Kobe Altman not Kevin Pritchard and not going back in time to cut Jeremy Lamb um, what do you do with Kevin Love do you keep him like, do you, do you say, hey, this guy's going to be really good for young guys to play with and develop with? Or do you say, hey, this guy, this guy just isn't worth it to us? What do you do with Kevin Love long term? Well, you know, a past version of myself would say, fuck him and just get rid of him. Which, of course, in this economy, with two years on his deal still, would basically be impossible unless you're willing to just eat a significant amount of change. But... I'm at a point now where it's like Kevin Love doesn't get in the way. Like he's a good passer, good shooter, good rebounder. Like I I don't see aside from just playing time, I don't see how he could like hurt their development. I don't know if he's going to help it significantly, but there's, I don't really see him hindering anything. So I, I mean, at least, at least give it another year again, just because that contract, like you're, you're not, you're never going to trade him. So it's either you are going to willingly eat money for him to play for a team that's going to try to win or you just keep him around and see if he can pass something along and and help these guys on the floor. So I, I am pro keeping Kevin Love. Yeah, I think Kevin Love has a very complimentary skill set for this team. I think this so, – so, okay, so next offseason they have Jared Allen is going to be a restricted free agent and he is probably going to get $100 million a year. Or not $100 million a year. That would be crazy. <laughs> He'd get $25 million a year, right? So that would put them over the salary cap line. But, I mean, I think that the thing about Kevin Love is he can play with he can play with Jared Allen. You can – I think he'd be really good for Garland's development in particular because Kevin Love, for all his faults, right, and I think a lot of his faults over the years has just been he hasn't been able to stay healthy. He knows where to be on offense. He knows where to be. I mean, the defense has always sucked with him, but you're not trying to win anything right now. I think it's completely fine to keep Kevin Love. Let him, he, again, complimentary skill set. Shoots threes really well. He can offensive rebound if he needs to. Um, just get down in the paint and just set screens, right? And I think that I like their their guys that are just setting screens for them now, like Larry Nance. You could play Nance and Love, and you could play love and Allen, right? I think that all those combinations work and I think it's going to be good for this young team. I don't know what they're going to do with Larry Nance. That's, that's the question of the off season really for the Cavs, but I don't see, see why you don't just keep him. He's on a, he's making 10 million next year and he's going to be making 9.7 the next year. So I would just probably try to keep Larry Nance 
and just just try to run this thing out, man. Like, what bad is it? Like, Kevin Love, it seems like Sexton and Garland love him, right? So it just seems like a good idea to just keep that guy around. I, I don't know what contenders he would help either, like if he was going to get cut by the Cavs. So we know we know Dan Gilbert is not cheap, but I don't even think he would want to eat $60 million in the next two years. I, I, I just don't see that happening. And I don't see anyone who would want to trade for Kevin Love. I think let him play out the string next year. Buy him out the year after that, you know, give him, let him give back like 5 million or something of the 28.9 and just let him, you know, bomb threes on a contender. But I mean, I think that he's good for this roster because he just gives them an element of spacing. Like what other shooters do they have on this roster? Genuinely speaking, <laughs> they don't really have any Torian Prince right now is bombing threes for them. And I know if I say the Torian Prince word around you, you'll, you go into convulsions, Dylan Hughes, but I mean, they really don't have any shooters at the moment. Like Windler doesn't shoot a whole lot. Like if he's inside a lot more than he's outside. I, they, I think he fits this team perfectly for the future. Like, even if he's not going to be there when Sexton and Garland are stars. You know, I will address the most important part of that and say that I actually like Torian Prince now. Wow. I don't know. I don't know what, it was just, I think Brooklyn, I don't think he's a city guy is what I, I don't think that's because, you know, Atlanta is a big city and like, he was good. He was fine there. I don't think he was great. Like there's a reason they traded him. He gets to Brooklyn and it's kind of like, you know, I think the city kind of pumps his ego a little bit and he thinks he can just shoot and, and it's fine. And he got traded to Cleveland and he was like, you know what, man? That's that's not the life for me, man. I'm going to start moving the ball. I'm going to start breaking out on transition all the time. Like, I, I actually – I mean, I've watched the Cavs since he got there, I don't know, maybe six games. And, like, every game I've watched, I've actually been happy with him. So, I, I have turned the tide on on Torian Prince, but it is – it's because, you know, he's he's just figured it out. And uh, I'm, I'm happy for him. So, okay, so I pulled up the leaders for the team in three-point field goal attempts per game. So Kevin Love is at 5.8. Shetty Osman, who was playing quite well the first time we did the Cavs, and um, I can't really say the same this time, is shooting 5.3 at 30% even. Um, And then Garland's at 4.7. He's shooting 40% from three. Yogi Ferrell. That shouldn't even count. He's only played two games for them. Um, Colin Sexton's at 4.4. Torian Prince is at 4.1. So, I mean, this team is in dire need of shooting. But, I mean, you can find shooting in, like, the second round of the draft. I think that I really like the future for the Cavs. I think that they have a really solid foundation. And this is probably the best they've looked post-LeBron in, like, the last... Hell, I like this team a lot better as currently constructed than the Deion Waiters, Kyrie, Tristan Thompson team. Like I, I like this team a lot better than the Cavs before LeBron showed up the second time. So anything else to add about the Cavs before we move on to the to your Indiana Pacers, Dylan Hughes? I'm set. All right, let's go ahead and move on to your Indiana Pacers. So they are 26 and 28, good for ninth in the Eastern Conference. And they the last week, they played the Orlando Magic and beat them 111 to 106. Then on Sunday, they beat the Memphis Grizzlies 132 to 125 in one of the probably the most entertaining games we've had in a while. Um, Then on Tuesday, they lost to Dylan Hughes' Los Angeles Clippers 
um he resents that i finally said that but <laughs> the look on his face says it all folks you can't see at home because this is a audio medium but they lost the los angeles clippers 126 to 115 and and then they beat the houston rockets 132 to 124 um so I feel like we got to talk about carousel before we get into the big Pacer questions, because obviously this is, that's the big thing that's changed since the last time we watched the Pacer because Karis was still recovering from his uh, renal carcinoma surgery. So Dylan Hughes, um, just real quick, how, what have, what have you liked from Karis Levert so far in Indiana Pacers uniform? Well, we picked a great week to have the Pacers cause he's been awesome this week. I mean, when he first came back, he was struggling a bit. You know, I mean, he missed a good amount of time. I think he was just getting his legs back. And, of course, he's on a new team. He's going to have to try to fit in. But, man, he's been he's been good. Like, this this is the guy that you wanted, the guy that just gets into the paint. And it's funny because he's really skinny. Like, he doesn't seem like a guy that would just easily be able to get in the paint and, like, maneuver the way he does. I mean, he'll get a defender on his hip and just start rotating all kinds of directions to get a shot up. And, you know, he he's interesting to watch because he never really goes all the way to the rim. He kind of just stops a little bit short. And, I mean, he's found a lot of success there. So, I'm like, I'm not saying that as a negative, but he's just – he's figured out that that's a good spot for him. But he's he's just fun to watch. I mean, he's he's just ruthless with the ball when, like, he knows he knows exactly what he wants to do with it and – and lately he's been having great success of, of getting shots to fall. And it's, it seems like he's meshed with this group pretty quickly. So it, it's been fun to watch. Yeah. He's only played 18 games in Indiana, which I mean, the season just is going by at like a meteor meteoric. I can't say that word right now. Meteoric rate. I think that's, I think that's how you say it. That's it. Yeah. Okay. So there, the season is moving at a meteoric rate and it feels like he's been back for like a couple months, but he's only been back for a month. <laughs> He came back on March 13th. And I mean, he's already averaging 18 points a game for the Pacers. Like he's come out and he's basically been doing what he did in Brooklyn when, when they were staggering his minutes with Katie and Kyrie. And you got to really give him a lot of props. Like I, the toughness thing, I don't like going all in on that because, you know, it's kind of, it's kind of just a trope when you're talking about sports, but like, man, the toughness he had to come back from this in like, not even injury. From this, you know, he had cancer, full-blown cancer. So, and the fact that he's already playing so well and looking so smooth, I totally, that totally slipped my mind before this, like just this moment. But the fact that he's looking so smooth out there and just making the good reads, he's bringing this, he's bringing an element of penetration to the Pacers that they really haven't had. I mean, Dylan, I don't know. I don't know. You would probably say Victor Oladipo in 2018. Like they need like someone who can knife into the lane the way that Karis does. And they, I feel like they haven't had that till now. Yeah. I mean, Brogdon attacks, but it's very different. Like he's very, it takes a time to develop. And I mean, we saw in the playoffs last year with Bam, <laughs> Bam just swallowing up every drive he had. And I don't think Levert would let him get away with that. Like he's, he's just so fast and like smooth that he gets to his spots very quickly. And yeah, like, he likes to kind of bang around down there to get a better shot. But by the time he's down there, it's kind of chaos defensively. So that definitely has been a huge impact. And and you can see it. Like, there's so many good off-ball players on this team that that penetration opens up a ton of shooting. And that that's why they've been playing a lot better lately, I think. Yeah, if I could pull it up, I would pull up, like, three-point shooting stats for, like, McDermott and um, Holiday since 
both holidays, really. Both holidays shot played very well this week. Um, but I would be interested to see the numbers since he started playing more and just like how he's opened up the offense for them. But like, it's a real interesting mix of guys, right? Like, so we didn't have Miles Turner this week. I don't think we saw him in any games this week. He's out with an ankle injury. He's listed as day-to-day right now. So he should be back hopefully soon. If he's listed as day-to-day, that means he should be out soon. And then obviously... TJ Warren, if you've been paying any attention to the Pacers, he has only played four games this year and he is not going to play again until next year. Hope speedy recovery is out for TJ Warren because I really want to see this team at full strength. But I mean, Dylan, between Brogdon, Sabonis, and Lavert, there's a lot of firepower on this team before we move on to our first big picture question. I feel like this team, like in the future, could make a lot of noise between those guys, between those three. Yeah, I mean, I, this this season has obviously been tough and the Warren injury has just killed him. I'm looking at the standings right now, and I'm just thinking they're three and a half games back of the four seed. If you have Warren this whole time, I think they probably are, are if they're not there, they're close to it. I mean, he's he was that good last year. I have a lot of confidence that – I mean, I think he was actually probably their best player last year. And, and Sabonis gets all the praise, but, man, you watch every game – he was he, like everyone wants to talk about the scoring, but he was huge on their in their defense because he was a I mean he was a really good man to man defender, but he was also really smart about when to jump passing lanes. Like he he seemed to do it perfectly every time, and not having him in there has has I think it's impacted them more than a lot of outsiders kind of recognize. But I mean again like. Laverse, Sabonis, Brogdon, like what they have right now, I still think that's a great trio. And, I mean, it's it's tough. I mean, just based on how the standings are, they're going to lose in the first round. There's just no way they're not. But if, if they had a little bit more health on their side, I, I think they'd be fine. And that's why I'm, I'm optimistic about next year. Yeah, so – and I feel like a lot of the young guys on this roster have been playing really well too. That leads me to my first, um, my first big picture question for the Pacers is that what have you, how have you liked the young guys, how the young guys have played recently it, between Aaron holiday, Edmund Sumner. Oh, that's a tough one for me to say. I never actually said it out loud. I always just write it. Edmund Sumner. There you go. And then Goga Batadze. How, like those three to me, like have looked really good for the Pacers in the last few weeks. Yeah, I've been high on Sumner for a while, and I know I know it took you some time to come around, which I get. Like his, I mean, even now his offense is still pretty raw, and I worry that his three point shot is just never going to hit because I mean he hits them sometimes, but he he gets open looks constantly, and it seems like they just end up long all the time. Like I just don't. I think his mechanics need some work. Uh, he kind of does one of those catapult things where it's, it's just – it's not a good uh, replicable shot. So it's it's understandable why it hasn't dropped for him yet. But, man, like on the ball, that dude is electric. Like he – I love watching him and Lavert at the same time because they're both fast as hell. Like they – I've never seen two guys on the same team move that quickly. I mean, they, they are like really <laughs> just fun to watch. And Sumner is by far the quickest. And I – I would like to see him in a foot race with some of these guys in the league, like John Wall and Russell Westbrook, like these guys that are just have always been really quick deer and Fox. I mean, I, I think he could potentially beat them. Like he is very fast. And I mean, you can see it 
he he flies down the floor and he's a great finisher like on speed a, a lot of these guys they they run a little bit too quick they end up missing the shot at the at the hoop but he'll go like he'll just kind of stop on a dime and lay it in real nicely and i just i really enjoy uh seeing him start to see some more good stuff happen for him because he's I think he's got a place in their future for sure, especially with how he's played lately. And Goga still has a long way to go, but much better than last year. His defensive positioning is better, but he still doesn't block shots really. Like he, he, a lot of these ball handlers aren't scared to go at him and that's not a good sign, but he's, he's definitely altering shots. He's just not blocking shots. So he's, he's still got to work on his timing and positioning a bit. But it's much better than last year. I mean, it's it's much better, and that's a good sign because last year he looked really bad, and and offensively he's looked more comfortable too. So um, I think I mean I think by next year he could probably be a pretty reliable backup. So you know, with the 18th pick, I don't think that's that's that bad of a deal. And then Holiday, Holiday, I just go back and forth on because he's been up and down. I mean, he has periods where he's like a very good shooter, good finisher and driver, decent little passer, but he, and he's been like that lately, but he just flickers back and forth too much. And, and I was actually thinking, depending on where the Pacers end up falling, like if they make the playoffs or not, I, I would be interested to see if the Pacers would be willing to package holiday and their pick to move up mm. because there's so many good guards in this draft I wonder if there's a team that would look at Aaron holiday and say, you know what? I think this guy would be worth trading back like three to four spots. Just take a little flyer on him and see what we can get later on. Because I mean, the Pacers have a lot going on at guard right now and you're going to have someone good, not playing. I think Sumner at this point has proven that he's just more consistent than holiday and he doesn't offer the shooting, which obviously in the NBA comes at a premium but pretty much everything else he does better than holiday. And obviously McConnell, I mean, just sign that dude to a max deal right now. Like there's no way he's leaving and he's obviously going to get a ton of playing time. He's just, you know, (laughs) there was a play the other night against, um, I don't know if it was, it was the Clippers game. Yeah. Where he hits a three at the end of the first quarter, the very first play of the second quarter, he gets a layup, steals the inbound pass, gets a layup. So just seven points within like 30 seconds from TJ McConnell. I mean, just an absolute superstar that doesn't get enough attention. I don't know how I'm just fascinated to see how the hall of fame goes at the end of his career. Hall of fame voting. He's not going to get as much voting as he should, but he, he, I know in my heart, he's a hall of famer and that's really all that matters. But I mean, I, so I'm interested to see what they do with holiday because he's had interest around the league for a while. And I'd be interested to see if, if they can cash in on that and maybe move up in the draft. Or 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 get like a, I don't know, maybe like a Larry Nance mm. and throw it in with Jimmy, throw it in with Jeremy Lamb or something. Because you're right, this team is going to have way too many guys to play. Like they are just very deep. Um, they need a Larry Nance. They've always needed the Larry Nance kind of guy, but especially now where Larry Nance would be the heaviest player on their team. Like I know that the, the um the media guide probably says that Sabonis and Turner are both weigh more than Larry Nance, but just look at Larry Nance, then look at Sabonis and look at Turner, and they don't weigh nearly the same. But 
I think Aaron Holiday is is just due for a new team. He's definitely a second draft kind of guy to me. Like he just doesn't like maybe OKC takes a flyer on him, right? And you they send you like one of the like let's just say let's just say Houston keeps their pick and you they give you Miami's pick, right? Or something like that. Like that which will be like 17 or something like that. I don't know. Let me check their where they are currently at the lottery. So okay, no, Miami's currently 16. So yeah, you get two you get two young like wing players. And I think it works out, but it's just going to be interesting to see for me what they do this off season, because there's a lot of different doors, right? Like you have, you have five very solid young players. I know Levert's older, but Levert's only been in the league for five years. He's not like a veteran, a well-established veteran by any means. So like they have a very solid core between Turner, between Sabonis, between Bragdon, Lavert, TJ Warren. And then you go to the bench. McConnell's a free agent this year, but I can't imagine, like, even with how well he's playing, he's not gonna get starter money. You know what I mean? Like he'll probably make like 10 million a year or something, like at, at the absolute most. And you could bring him back. McDermott's gonna be the one. McDermott's not coming back to Indiana, I don't think. McDermott's a unrestricted free agent next year. And there's gonna be some team like the Celtics will scoop him up or something like that. Somebody will scoop him up like some contender. The Lakers will scoop him up and he'll be a NBA champion. I, I I'm calling it right now, but I guess that that leads me to my next question, Dylan, is that, do you think that Kevin Pritchard can turn this team into a title contender? It feels like they're honestly not that far removed, but it feels like there's some pieces like, you know, that maybe need to be added or tweaked a little bit. Like, what do you think? Do you trust, do you trust Pritchard to get the team to a place where they can't contend for a title. I don't know if it's a lack of trust. It's just the way the league works is you got to have one of the best 10 guys and then probably one of the best 25 right next to him. And there's only so much you can do about that. Like you, you either got to trade for one and give up everything else that matters to you, or you got to draft one. And unless they, they miss the playoffs and get lucky in the lottery. That's not going to happen. So next year you're looking at having, you know, a top four of Brogdon, Sabonis, Levert, and Warren. And I mean, their starting five is going to be awesome. Like throwing, throwing Turner into that mix too. I mean, it's, it's a great regular season team, but when you get to the playoffs and you face James Harden, Kyrie Irving and Kevin Durant, you know, it's, it's just, it's, I don't want to say it's impossible, but it pretty much is. And Hey, if you beat them, you can play Giannis, Chris Middleton, Drew Holiday. And Oh, Hey, if you beat them, here's Jimmy Butler and Bam Adebayo. It's like, you know, you got to have one of those guys or, or two of those guys. And they just don't, they have a bunch of really good players. They have four guys that could be all-stars and, you know, a guy that could be the defensive player of the year, but they just, you know, they're just, I think they're a really good playoff team and they're going to lose probably in the second round. And that's, that's just how it goes. And I mean, you could, you could, I, you could trade two of those guys and maybe get one of those top guys, but I just, I don't know who it would be. And I mean, they, they definitely have like enough players where they could package a few together and try to pull in a big name, but I just, the would would they take that risk? I don't know. Like Pritchard, I mean Pritchard's not scared to take risk, and the big deals he's made, he's done well in. The Paul George deal worked out great, 
And the All Depot deal, I think, is going to work out great too. But as far as that next level, can he pull it off? And I, I'm not sure about that. That's the question of the day, really. It's just like, first of all, are the Simons willing to go into the luxury tax? And that's a question that's always been a definitive no. <laughs> so there's that right there. And then it's just like, you're right. This team is full of guys that could be all-stars, but they just aren't, right? Like, And there's something missing for like, if Brogdon was a little bit quicker, he'd be a top 20 player. If Sabonis could play defense, he'd be a top 20 player, but they can't do that. And so you got to adjust your expectations accordingly, right? Like Sabonis is still young and I wouldn't be surprised if he somehow learned to become an elite defensive player, right? Like that, that just based on the way Sabonis' career has gone, it wouldn't surprise me at all. But also wouldn't surprise me if he stayed, if this is what he was for the next 10 years of his career. And that's a, that's a good career for DeMontis Sabonis, but, you know, it's it's tough because you think like, <laughs> can this team climb the mountaintop? And you're right. The East is only getting stronger right and we're we i think this is something we're noticing like the east isn't going to be what it was the past 10 years right like it's not going to be what it was during lebron james's era where you know tim duncan and kevin durant and um all the top like kobe and all the top players are in the western conference and then lebron's over here camped out in the east and then the next next player is like kyle lowry and demar Derozan and paul Millsap and al horford right like that, that's not the way it's going to be anymore look at the top of the east like you have Giannis, Embiid, simmons um, Butler, uh, KD, Kyrie, Harden, right? Like those seven guys are seven of the top, like 15, 20 best players in the league. That's not the way it used to be in the East. And then Toronto surely going to bounce back next year. And you just, you don't know the way it's going to go. And I wish this Pacers team could win a championship. Like if you put one of those top 20 guys on, on the Pacers, I think they could win a championship. I think this is a championship core, but there's no championship player, if that makes sense. Like championship top dog. Yeah, and that's exactly what it is. And and it, it kind of reminds me of the Raptors team last year without Kawhi. It's like, hey, if you put Kawhi on this team, they'd probably win the championship. And I, I kind of look at the Pacers the exact same way. It's like, if you just were to replace one of these guys with, you know, a top 10 player, it's like a no doubt finals team, but you gotta, that's, that's the last and most important piece is that, that one guy. And those are the toughest guys to get. So it's just, it's, um, you know, Pritchard's doing his best, but I, I, the odds are stacked against him. And like, I don't blame the Pacers for going for it. Right. Like I don't blame them for trying to be competitive, but like your team is young enough where you could have probably just like, Hey, you know, DeMontis, you could take a little break for tonight. You know, Hey Malcolm, you know, you could take a little bit like this team, the timeline isn't that far off for them to add like a young star prospect if they were willing to, you know, go that route. But the Pacers famously haven't had a top 10 pick since, or like haven't picked higher than 10 since the 1980s. And I don't think that, I don't think that um, the Simon are going to be willing to break that streak because they're not doing so well in 2021. So I think that I'm not going to say they're going to be mired in mediocrity because I think they'll be better than mediocre the next couple of years. But I mean, it's going to feel like a treadmill of mediocrity when they're not winning anything and the best they're making it to like a second round appearance is a, feels like a championship. Yeah. And you know, they do still have a chance to get a decent pick because the way things are right now. And of course, Charlotte is very quickly sinking, but the Pacers, like, they have to win two games to make the playoffs. 
So, I mean, right now they would have to beat the Bulls and Charlotte, which obviously is very doable. But by that time, Hayward could be back for Charlotte. Um, and and LaMelo. Yeah, I, I still would be surprised, but I, it's definitely possible. And, I mean, the Bulls, I wouldn't put the put it past the Bulls to be really good a month from now because, I mean, they suck right now, but, like, they just got Vucevic, right? Like, it, you, don't, you usually don't just drop an all-star center into a team and they're awesome. Like, it takes time. And, I mean, a month from now, and I know Levine's going to miss half of that time, but – they, you know, they could be in a better spot and the Pacers are going to have to, unless Charlotte drops more and the Pacers just have to win one game, you know, they, they're going to have to beat two decent teams. So they, they could get lucky with the lottery still. And even if they don't get lucky, this lottery is stacked. So they could get an awesome player at, you know, the end of the lottery. So I, it's just, we'll have to see how it plays out. Yeah. I think that's just the way it's going to have to go. Um, let's go ahead and move on to the last big picture question. And this is just the question I had because I thought it was going to be a fun little exercise. So rank these mid-tier centers. So we, I think we both agree Sabonis is very good, but not the best. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. A lot of these guys. So three of these guys play in the East. Two of them play in the West. So rank these mid-tier centers, Dylan Hughes. Nikola Vucevic, DeMontis Sabonis, Clint Capella, Jonas Valanciunas, and then Yusuf Nurkic. So, first of all, you're doing a great job because these guys are very close. Like you could you could swap them around and I don't think it'd be that crazy, but I went with Vooch first. I mean, just, you know, great offensive player and like the we we saw what the Bulls just gave up for him to get him. Like that's a very valuable type of guy even though not a great defender, but honestly, like everyone has their flaws on this list. So, you know, it is what it is. And then Sabonis too, just because of the impact he has offensively, like he, he's nowhere near Jokic, but like he has kind of a similar responsibility where he does a lot of the ball handling. He does a lot of screening and he's also like a good post guy and very slowly developing a three-point shot. It may take five more years, but eventually he'll knock them down consistently. And obviously one of the best passing big men in the league. And I mean, we saw last year in the playoffs what the paces were without him. Like he, I think if they had him, they would have at least won one game. So that, that was kind of proving that he was um, a huge deal for them. And then I went with Jonas at three. Ah, just, just a guy I love, man, and, and he's on our he's on our Memphis Grizzlies, of course. Just, just killing it on both ends of the floor, like just, just consistently being one of the most underrated players in the league. He doesn't care. He doesn't need the attention. He's gonna go curl up in his man cave in Memphis and and be happy and drop eighteen and ten every night. Like he's fine with that, and and I respect that. Um, this one was tough. And as much as I, I like, I love Nurkic and I, I did end up going Nurkic just because of the passing, but I've kind of started to lose. I think he's lost his luster a little bit and granted, I think injuries have played a large part in that, but I, I still went with him just cause again, he can pass. And like, I love Capella, man. I, I debated putting him way higher on the list just cause he's, the situation that he's – well, I guess the situation he's been in both teams, he's been the exactly what those teams have needed because, hey, they happen to have 
one of the best passers in the league. Like he's always had one of the best passers on the league and on his team. So he's been a great uh, fit for, for Harden and Trey young, but you know, just because of Nurkic's passing, I, I went with him. But Capella, man, and and I'm even debating, like, if I'm in the playoffs, would I rather have Capella or Gobert? We just we just keep seeing Gobert crumble. And I'm and we're gonna talk about the Jazz, but we've seen it more this year where Snyder has pulled him because hey, when you have Derek Favors on the bench, you know, you don't have to put up with Gobert being fucked over by some mismatch that they keep exploiting. And I'm fascinated to see in the playoffs what happens with that. Cause I wouldn't be, I'm, we, we see it all the time and granted like the, the Rockets were a big part of that and they played them twice in a row. So I think part of the narrative was spoiled by that, but I mean, he, he couldn't hold his own against, uh, against Jokic last year. So it's like, if you can't defend the only guy in the West, you need to defend really besides AD then what the hell is the point of you? So, and I'm not saying Capella could do it, but I'm not saying he can't either. So it's just a, a little question I have that I'm going to be thinking about moving forward. This is very interesting. We have completely different lists, <laughs> completely different lists because I have Clint Capella at number one. I think, Go. I think that the defense that he's brought, I think that, yes, Nikola Vucevic did deserve the all-star spot. That being said, for the whole of this season, I think Capella's been better. And it's crazy. But I think Capella's flying under the radar. I mean, even for us, right? Like, I think that he's just been so good on both sides, right? Like 15, 14, two blocks. Exactly what you need. Gives you exactly what you need. He rolls to the rim hard every single time. Doesn't complain. Isn't like, you know, give me a post-touch, right? Like, I, I, he's not demanding post-touches. He's trying to help the Hawks win. And I think he's been... Obviously, he's been one of their, I think he agreed even when the Hawks were struggling when we had them the first time, he was one of their three best players. But I would still say he's probably, it's probably him than Trey Young and then Bogey. Like I would say that's the pecking order for the Hawks. Like he's been that important for them. I think he's been one of the five best centers in the league this year. I think if I was going to rank it, I'm not going to rank Cat just out of respect for the crazy 12 months he's had. Um, but like in whatever order, Jokic, Embiid, Gobert, Capella, and then maybe even Vooch. So maybe I have Capella as a top four center. I think Capella has been better than Vooch this year, as crazy as it is to say. I think just like what he's done for the Hawks, you can't, you can't quantify it with numbers, you know, like just been consistent on both sides. And I think that he's been the best of these five so far. And then obviously I have Vooch too. Um, Very good offensive center, but a lot to be desired on the defensive end, (laughs) which, you know, I love the Vooch trade on offense for the Bulls, but I think the, their lack of a point guard is really showing right now. I think that's kind of what's doing them in more than anything. Like, because if they had a point guard, and I know we love Kobe, but he's he's kind of more of a gunner at this point than a point guard, as much as I, I hate to say it. But I think if they had a point guard, they'd be they'd be fine, and they don't have a point guard right now. So that's that's why he's too the defense and Sabonis. I think the Jokic light is kind of a good comparison for him. Like he does a lot of the Jokic stuff, but I like. I feel like he never has the biggest impact on the Pacers as crazy as it is. Like, I feel like he's very important to the Pacers. I'm not saying he's not, but like, it just does. Like, it feels like he can maybe have like a little bit of a bad shooting game and the Pacers can still put up enough points. Right. And then he doesn't make up the, like the passing. That's tough. This is where it's tough. Right. This is where I stump myself. 
I told you when we were do, when I prepared these big picture questions, I stumped myself making this list because the passing, you know, he's probably the best passer out of these five. Like if I was going to rank the passing, it'd be Sabonis one, Nurkic two, Vooch three, Capella four, and then Jonas five probably. But I think that it's tough. If he had a jumper, he'd be probably number one or two for me. I just think that's kind of what separates it because he can do almost everything on the offensive end, but not everything yet. And I think if he had a jumper, I would trust him more. But I think that, you know, I think you can kind of take Sabonis game more than you can kind of take Capella and Fuch out, if that makes sense. So give me him at three. Uh, Jonas at four. I think he's been an absolute fucking wrecking ball. <laughs> like we saw him 32 and 25 on Sabonis on Sunday. <laughs> Like, I don't think there's anyone in the league as strong as Valanciunas at this point, including him and Zion. <laughs> That's the list. That's the list. So, Jonas is four for me. He's just absolute fucking wrecking ball, doing what he needs to do. And then I have Nurkic five. And this is no disrespect to Nurkic, but, like, I feel like even healthy, I just feel like the peak might be a little lower. Like, okay, the peak is higher for Nurkic than Valanciunas. But right now, Valanciunas is just playing at a much better level than Nurkic. And it's not Nurkic's fault because he's coming back from injury. But Nurkic needs to be like... Nurkic is basically Joakim Noah of this of this recent era. And I, I want to see that from him. But I think he's I think he's very good. And I, I want to see I want to see him come back to full health because I think that could really improve Portland's chances because Portland is kind of not doing well. Portland could have slid up, could have moved up to five. But they've kind of been stagnant while Los Angeles has been falling. So the Lakers. So I, I think this is a good discussion, Dylan. I liked I liked how we were different on our lists. So we you said we had completely different lists, but we really had the same list except Capella jumped all the way to the front of the line. Everyone else was the correct order, but I mean, and that's and that's I I, I understand like why again I just talked up Capella. Like I think he's Again, I mean, I just argued for him over Gobert. Like, I think as far as complimentary guys, he's at least top three in the league for that, for like the role he plays. And and this year, I think you're right that he, you know, he's at least one or two. And I just, from like a, just from like a standalone, I'm always going to pick the creators. Like that's, that's just my style. And if we did this with point guards, you know, I, I would go that same way. Like if, if you don't have a pull up jump shot, you know, there, there, there's always certain things and positions I'm going to value differently. But if the question was, Hey, we have Trey young, who do you want next to him? <laughs> or, or just to make it uh, like a neutral. If we have John Moran, I guess it's not neutral. Cause Here, here's one Monte Morris. You have Monte Morris. Who are you? Picking there you first? go. Yeah. I, if you have a good creator on a team already, who's the center on this list, I'm definitely taking Capella. So I, I a hundred percent understand why you went with him number one. Like this is the thing about centers to me, and you're if you're not a complimentary type of player, like Rashawn Holmes, right? I'll, I'll just use him as an example because he's on the brain because he said he should be on an all defensive team. He's a very good defensive player. I I think both of us would not deny that. However, <laughs> he has not made their defense appreciably better this year because they are the worst defense in the history of the NBA by almost <laughs> a mile at this point. Um, listen, I like you need to be a good complimentary player and I'll just, I'll use Rashawn Holmes as the example, right? Like he could have, he's like probably on bordering on the outside of this list, but he's really good. 
And I think the reason he's really good is because he's a complimentary player, right? And most centers have to be complimentary players. But the difference between like Sabonis and Vooch and, you know, when he's healthy, Nurkic, is that those guys' complementary skill sets, all they also have creating skill sets involved too. Like Vooch can create for himself more than Capella can. But at the end of the day, like are the limitations of what Vooch brings to the table, are they hurting you more than his creation is helping you? And they were able to muster a, a defense around Vucevic in Orlando, but they also had Jonathan Isaac the last couple of years. And he doesn't have Jonathan Isaac this year, and their defense is an absolute tire fire. So I love Vooch's offense, but I think that's a worthy like discussion to have. Like, would you rather have the guy who can create more offense for you, but takes a lot? It's really a, a, like a, a push and pull kind of thing. Like, would you want the guy who takes away a lot, but also gives you a lot? <laughs> Or do you want the guy that doesn't maybe give you as much, but doesn't take away nearly as much either? It's it's one of those kind of like push pull, like, you know, on the table, off the table kind of situations. And I think center is in a fascinating place because Vooch absolutely deserves every dime that he's making. But you could argue for a team like content, like, so let's just say the Bucks, right? Like we both agree Brooke Lopez isn't the answer at center, but Vooch wouldn't help them at all. I, I think we could both agree with that. Like Vooch, I mean, maybe he would because he fits next to Giannis in that particular way, but like, let's just, it's another team like the Warriors. How much would Vooch help the Warriors right now? Like in them trying to climb up the, the snide, right? Like he would help them on offense, but what about the defense? The Warriors defense isn't great right now. So I, I feel like that's the reason why I had Capella over Vooch personally. Well, first of all, you made a mistake mentioning the bucks and centers because you already yes. know who the best center for them is. Well, we're, we're listen, but <laughs> we know, I you know, help myself, I, I know I, I knew as soon as I brought up Milwaukee, it was a mistake, but you get, you get the general gist of where I'm going with this. Like, it's not like, I think that the complementary skill sets for most contenders help a lot more. And plus I think Capella's just been balling his ass off this year too. And he wasn't going to get recognized because he didn't play enough games in the first half. But I think that he is, if he stays healthy next year, he's probably going to be an all-star and he's going to be deserving of it. So it's interesting discussion. Anything else to add Dylan before we move on to the jazz? No, man. I think, I think we drove the, the mid tier center argument right into the ground. I, th- I thought it was interesting. Cause you're right. Those were guys that were like, are all near each other in the center ranking, like from five to like, 10 so well, you know what's funny i was thinking earlier about this how there's just such a massive drop off in center because it's like you have Embiid, Jokic, and ad because i'm considering ad a center because fuck him i don't care if he's playing point or power forward or not he's a center um so you have those three guys who are like obviously like championship level centers that they like they could absolutely be the best player on your team and then after that, it's just a massive drop off. And yes, that is more Rudy Gobert shade. But, you know, like Rudy Gobert, Clint Capella, like if those guys are even like the second best player in your team, you're probably not making even like the conference finals. So it's just kind of funny, like how how big of a drop off there is. And, and that's not like a new thing, I'll say. I think it's kind of always been like that, where you're either like an awesome fucking center, like MVP candidate, or you're like probably the third best player on your team. Like it, it kind of seems like it's always been like that. Yeah. I mean, like I remember the Joakim Noah years 
where he was probably a top 10, not top 10, probably a top 15 guy in the league just because of everything he brought to the table and didn't take off. Like the only thing he couldn't do was shoot and people didn't want center shooting like that back then. So I think that's a good example. And then when Joe Noah started to fall off a cliff because of his injuries, he then was like the fifth best player on the Knicks. And it was a huge problem because he was making 18 million a year. So it goes to show how quickly things can change when you're a center and you're so big and your knees just get hurt all the time. But let's go ahead and move on to the, the guy you just mentioned, Rudy Gobert. Let's go ahead and move on to his team, the Utah Jazz. So the Jazz are still on fucking fire. They have been on fire all year. 41 and 14, good for first in the Western Conference and first in the whole league. Not that that matters that much. This week, they had a, I felt like they had a pretty good week this week. So they beat the Trailblazers 122 to 103. They then beat the Sacramento Kings 128 to 112 a baffling loss of the Washington Wizards who just Westbrook seems to show up like once every four games and defeat a contender they lost to the Wizards 125 to 121 and then they lost they beat the Thunder on Tuesday 106 to 96 in spite of Lou Dort's 42 points Dorty two points oh no <laughs> listen I had to try it um so it feels like this is probably going to be kind of a repeat discussion of how much we've talked of how we talked about the jazz really this whole time we've been doing this podcast, which is pretty much almost a year now. Like I think in a couple months, it'll be, be a year like that. We've been doing this podcast consistently together, but I mean, is this the jazz? the just go straight to the big picture question? Cause not much has changed unless you want to count Ursan Ilyasova, which I don't, is this the jazz is really only chance to win a title in the foreseeable future. Like, it feels like this is the time the door is open for them. And do, do you agree with that? Oh yeah. And, and, and this, and, and their window may only be open for like two more weeks, even because again, if the Lakers get healthy, it's over. Like the, the reason that they have a shot is because the best two teams in the conference are, are losing guys right now. Like Jamal Murray, not coming back. So, there's nothing Denver can do to fix that, but the Lakers, that's, that's the thing. It's like, if, again, as we mentioned earlier, if just one of those two guys is out, it's a significant issue. And I think they're better off if AD's out than LeBron, obviously. I think LeBron Schroeder and Drummond are probably enough. I mean, LeBron, LeBron carries like fringe all star type of guys to the finals every year. So I'm not going to, I'm not going to doubt him. And, but, but if he's, if he's kind of limping, you know, if he's kind of limping into the postseason, this is the jazz's chance because I mean, hell like every other, every other Western team I have, I have issues with like, it's, I mean, I think Phoenix is probably just experience, but I guess top end talent would be, Another thing, because Booker has been awesome, and I trust that he'll be good in the playoffs, but we don't know. We haven't seen it. And, I mean, look at the past few years with Mitchell and Murray. They sucked in the playoffs. So, I don't know. Booker, like, I think Booker – I don't think Booker would, but there's also plenty of proof uh, working against him that the first-time guys playing the playoffs, they suck. (laughs) So – that, and that'll be another interesting thing to look if the Grizzlies make it with Morant. Um, but the Clippers, I mean, I don't even need to go into that. Like, I've made clear why I don't like them. And, and they've had injury problems, too. And so... You don't like the Clippers? That's shocking. Shocking. <laughs> I mean, it, well, you know what really... It hinges on Paul George. Like, 
if Paul George is playing at the level he is now, then it's a different story. I just don't trust it. And I know he was injured last year, but it seems like he just kind of randomly gets injured at the worst time. It, at least that's how it's been the past few years. And and you know what? I'm going to I'm going to give you something you're going to like. I'm going to give you a little bit of Reggie Jackson rant here. Okay, listen. L- look at his box score. This dude is a disaster. And, and I say disaster because he is he is great every third game. I was watching the highlights of the Pistons game the other night they played. And I got mad at first because I'm like, oh, Reggie Jack, because Reggie Jackson had a good game against the Pistons. And I was mad because it's like, oh, is Reggie Jackson doing this as like a revenge thing because he was on the Pistons and sucked. And I was like, I wanted to get mad at him because I was like, oh, did Reggie Jackson just decide to be good against the Pistons because they cut him or whatever? I was just, I was kind of hoping that worked out. But then I looked at the, the game log because I know he sucked against the Pacers. So I'm like, let me look at this. And it's like he has 20, like 25 plus points every third or fourth game. So you never know when the hell he's going to be awesome. He will be eventually, but you never know. He could also have eight points that game and have like five turnovers. So, you know, and then and and he's going to be your backup once Beverly comes back. And Beverly has issues, too. Like, I don't love Beverly on offense, at least. So I the Clippers I just have issues with. I've very been very vocal about that this this year and last year. Um, <laughs> Portland is just an injury. An injury is going to happen. I don't even need to like. They have a great team, but they're going to get injured. It just happens every year, and I would like to think they're not this year because they kind of already have, but. They're going to. So I'm sorry to put that out there, but they're going to. So there, and I don't want to go down the whole freaking conference, but every team has an issue right now, and it may not be like that in a month. But the Jazz were like the one team that's, and they've had some injuries, but they've relatively been fine, and they've basically been a buzzsaw to this point. So, I mean, this the the window is very slightly cracked open, but they definitely have a shot of squeezing through it. Yeah, I think that. They just have the most solid players in the conference, right? Like they just know what they're doing. Mike Conley is still playing out of his mind. Mike Conley is on the on my favorite players list. I love watching him play. He's always gonna be on my favorite players list. Um, just is really smart on both sides, right? Like he makes you pay for mistakes. I watched the OKC game and there was one play where <laughs> Porteo Maladon, right? He's just dribbling the ball and Conley's trailing him, and Conley just Wait for Maladon to get in front of him and just pokes the ball away from behind. It's like, that's the, that's the stereotypical Mike Conley play. Right. But the issue is the same issue they had last time is that they, they have very good wing depths. Their wing depth is just small. Like Royce O'Neal's only six, four Royce O'Neal plays like he's like six, nine, <laughs> but he's six, four. Right. And then you have Joe Ingles who, is somehow still contributing on both ends in a very positive way, but we can't count on that. He's not going to shut down Paul George the same way he did in the Oklahoma city series. That was four years ago. Right. And then you have just like, or I guess that was three years ago, technically, but still three years in the NBA is a long time. Boyan Bogdanovich, who is no one's idea of a defensive stopper. Here's a, here's a jazz comparison. People are throwing out the 2015 Hawks. I don't like that comparison because it's not the same kind of team. 
they this Jazz team is a supercharged version of that 2018 Pacers team. And obviously, yes, they lost in the first round to LeBron. But this team could also lose in the second round to LeBron because right now the ja- the Lakers are fifth. <laughs> And if the Lakers beat the Nuggets, which again isn't a hundred percent possibility, but you could have this team going down in flames. But like Mike Conley is a way better Darren Collison, right? Donovan Mitchell's way better Victor Oladipo. Gobert is like on offense isn't Miles Turner, but on defense, way better than Miles Turner. And then Boyan Bogdanovich and Joe Ingles, great, great wing depth. And then the Pacers didn't obviously have a, a Royce O'Neal, but you, you get where I'm coming from. It's not a baseless comparison. I just don't think it's tough because they could, but I think if they do, it's not because of like any, like of how much greater they're, they are than their opponent. 45% of their shots come from behind the three point line, Dylan. And that feels low watching them <laughs> like this. It feels like this team shoots more than like last year's rockets did when it was, you know, the five guys that were all small. It feels like this team shoots just more than those rockets did generally, but they don't actually, but it feels like they do. <laughs> I think if this team wins series, it won't be like in the first round, it'll be because they're better than the eight seed. Like they're, of course they're going to be better than Memphis. They're going to be better than golden state. They're going to be better than new Orleans or San Antonio. Right. That's, that shouldn't be shocking, but I think this team, the second round teams, and why, why don't we just go ahead and this question now? Cause you already kind of touched on it. We're going to touch on the percentage chance. They beat every team in the Western conference. So we'll, we'll just go team by team and we'll just rank our percentages. So the Suns, I like their chances a lot more against the Suns. I think I put them at a 60% chance to beat the Suns because I feel like they have the kind of guys to shut down Booker and Paul. But then you have to remember Chris Paul can give Rudy Gobert a lot of trouble in pick and roll. So I still think that Utah out talents Phoenix. And if they play Phoenix, it would be on the conference final. So this matchup is highly unlikely. But Dylan, what percent chance do you give the Utah Jazz to beat the Phoenix Suns? Yeah, I gave him 70 because I just think the three-point shooting is going to be too much. And as much as I love Phoenix right now, they're they're one player away from actually being able to beat these teams, I think. And, you know, hopefully that's Aiton next year, but who knows. And, yeah, I, I just think they have they have way too much offensively, the Jazz, and obviously great defensively too. There's just there's way too much going on. I think the Suns would kind of get overwhelmed. Yeah, I that's kind of what I tend to think too. Like obviously this matchup is very unlikely to happen unless the Suns fall away to four somehow, which I doubt. I don't think the Suns are gonna make the conference finals. I think that there's a chance, like you know, I'm not as high on Dallas as you are, but I think there's a chance Dallas can beat Phoenix in the first round. Like, I think that there's always that possibility, but we're not talking about Phoenix or Dallas right now. So let's go ahead and move on to our next team. And this team isn't very likely to play the Jazz in the second round either because this is, they're the third seed currently. It's the Los Angeles Clippers. I think I would give the Jazz a slight edge. I gave them a 55% chance because we don't know about the Jazz's health and the areas where you could traditionally dominate the Jazz in. The only advantage the Clippers have to me is Kawhi. I think that they can, the Jazz can do a good job on PG, but Kawhi is the X factor to me, which is why... I don't think the Clippers can stop Mitchell and Conley. And I think the pick and roll with those guys, they're going to get a lot of shots that they want. I would favor the jazz barely. What, what percent chance do you give the jazz to beat the Clippers? Yeah, I gave them 50. It's, it's a toss up because again, the, the Kawhi and Paul George factor, like 
I think Royce O'Neal would be fine against one. I, I think that I mean Royce O'Neal's a stud. Like we we talked about him earlier in the year a lot, but I again it's just that you gotta have two though. You gotta have two Royce O'Neals, really, and hopefully one that's a little bit bigger. So that's that's why I give the Clippers the edge, like you said, but Again, it's just everything around those two scares me. Like, I think Marcus Morris is going to be fine for four games. Or, like, he's going to be – the four games you need him to be good, I think he he could be good. Zubach, man, I just love Zubach. And I know he's – you know, Abaka's not playing right now, and that's who's usually there. And obviously, I love Abaka, but Zubach is a stud. Like, he had, like, three insane dunks against the Pacers that just no one talked about. I was watching that game, I'm like – how was that not on Sports Center? Like he just threw that down effortlessly, and I I just love Zubac. Like I think he's the perfect backup center slash. I need you to start fifteen games. Like he's I think he's perfect for that role. But outside of that, it's like Rondo. Who the hell knows? He'll probably have an awesome series because he just does in the playoffs every year now. And Canard, I mean. Unless he's playing the Pacers, he sucks, basically, is, is what it comes down to. He had another great game against the Pacers. Like, I don't know what it is. He's only good against the Pacers. But everything else, it's like Terrence Mann is, like, awesome for a week and then terrible the next week. And I, I just – I don't trust anything outside of those top two guys, really. All right, but Dylan Hughes, can I interest you in Luke Kennard since the, since the trade deadline, since they traded the guy that was directly in front of him? Let's hear it. Nine points a game, 45% from the field, 40% from three. It's only playing 20 minutes, but I mean, that's yeah. not terrible from, from old Luke Kennard. Like, I mean, if you can mix in, like, he has like a 21-point game, a 17-point game, 15, 11, 10, 17 in the last game against Detroit. Like, that's good enough for me. Yeah, I mean, Lou Williams, I guess I could see that clearing him out would help, but... It's give me another like three weeks of this, maybe a little bit better scoring and, and I'll be on board. But until then I'm uh and yes, there's probably some Pacers bias where he becomes the best player in the league against the Pacers. And he was good against Detroit, but that was also probably a revenge game for him. Um, so, you know, we'll see. All right, let's go ahead and move down to the fourth team in the standings, the Denver Nuggets. They are obviously shorthanded without Jamal Murray. And I think to me, that makes the biggest difference. Like the jazz were able to do a pretty good job against Michael Porter last year. I think that Gordon element is fascinating, but Gordon needs to start, start shooting more. And obviously there was no Will Barton last year in the whole playoffs. So I want to see that element too. I, I have it as a 50, 50 shot because it was really close series last year with Murray and with no Murray. I do think the nuggets are a lot better this year, but I still think that I got to respect the jazz and make it a 50, 50 shot. What do you have as their percentage chance against the nuggets? Wow, I this is gonna be way off from what you said. Wow, I, I'm giving him a 15 percent chance. It's interesting. Listen, I, it, I don't care about anything else. It comes down to Gobert versus Jokic. We know who's winning that matchup. There's no way Mitchell plays like that again. And if I'm wrong, I'm wrong. But that was the only shot. The only shot they had was because Mitchell was a, just insanely good. I think he could be good. And again, I'm very open to being wrong, but this is something I talked about last year before the playoffs. Mitchell sucked in the years before last year. 
So all of a sudden he's, are we just going to say he's awesome because of one, one series? I don't know. I think he, listen, they, they didn't have Conley for like the first three games. He had no chance, but like he had no option, but to be that guy. So he was that guy. And now they got a full squad and I don't know. I, I just, if he is that guy, then yeah, it is closer to 50, 50, but I mean, we're just talking about how, how they defend Kawhi and PG. How are they going to f- defend Porter and Gordon? Those are two massive guys, and, and they, don't, they don't offer the same offensive creation. But just size-wise, I mean, give me, give me Porter Jr. over bogey every day of the week. Yeah. That's, and the only thing is for me, like, Gary Harris came in and turned that series around. And there is no – I know Gary Harris, listen – much maligned player for the Denver Nuggets this year, but his defense is still legitimately great. He's playing well in Orlando somehow against the odds. So I think they're going to miss his guard defense. Like who do they have at the one or the two that can guard Donovan Mitchell like that? I think it's a legitimate question. Like Donovan Mitchell's playing out of his mind right now. I think he's improved a lot of the elements of his game, even from last year. So we'll talk about Donovan Mitchell more later, but I think that, listen, even if I was going to push it down, I'd push it down to like a 45% chance Utah wins. I think it's a lot closer. And yes, obviously, Jokic versus a Gobert. <laughs> Jokic wins every single time. I'm not going to dispute that. But I think that the guard, like the rest of the guys for the Utah and Denver, I think that makes it a lot closer, personally. And I think the three-point variance, too, is something that the three-point variance for the Jazz is just something we can't ignore, because they can go like 20 of 49 from three and make, you know, outscore you from 40 at the three point line. So I, I just, I can't discount that Dylan, but I, I understand where you're coming from for sure. I, I just don't agree personally, but let's go ahead and move on to the Lakers and I'll have you start this one. Cause I feel like you're very disrespectfully loud on this one. <laughs> I mean, listen, I think the nuggets and the Lakers are the same. Like I it's 15%. I just, I don't see, how you're gonna? St- how are you gonna stop AD, LeBron, Drummond? How? That like that's that's all I have to say about it. And again, health is a big deal. I'm just gonna assume the Lakers are healthy. I think that's the the best way to go about it because those those two guys have missed a lot of time already. Like I I would be surprised if in another month they're not back. They may they may be rusty, but even when they're rusty, and, and we already know what LeBron thinks about Utah. He has no love for Utah. If he's going to show out against anyone, I think it's Utah. Yeah, that's that's an excellent point. Um, I was factoring in health, so I had 35%. But if they're healthy, I'm giving the Jazz 10% chance. I mean, that's the only – like, I, I'm legitimately worried about the health of Anthony Davis. LeBron, I, LeBron, I'm never worried about because, again, he's a fucking superhuman. But Anthony Davis, if he's not healthy, then I think – the pendulum swings a little more towards the jazz. Do I think it swings all the way? No, but I think it, it could swing more towards the jazz, but I think that healthy Lakers destroy the West. There's just no team as good as Lakers healthy, but the Lakers haven't been healthy. And that's why basketball is played. You don't just, no one plays on paper as they say, as I say, Um, let's go ahead and move on to the Portland trailblazers. And I had this at 60%, but I'm putting this at a 70% chance because Portland, listen, we both love the Trailblazers. We both love Damian Lillard. They have one of the worst fucking defenses I've ever seen. I'm sorry. <laughs> like, 
who is going to guard Donovan Mitchell? A. B. Robert Covington, for as good as he is, he's not a magic worker. He can't be at all four spots on the perimeter at once. And I think that that's just going to tear the Trailblazers to shreds if the Jazz play. And I think the Jazz, if the Jazz play the Blazers in a series, I think there's a legitimate shot that the the Jazz could shoot 45% from the three in the series because they're going to be that wide open every single time. I love... I love the Blazers roster, but they just don't have the defensive dogs. That That's Portland's problem to me. And we both like the Gary Trent for Norm Powell trade, but like, man, Gary Trent at least played good defense. Like, at least I could throw Gary Trent on Donovan Mitchell and be like, okay, this probably isn't preferable, but I'll take it rather than CJ McCollum on D- Donovan Mitchell. I almost said Davion still in the final four uh, mindset. Um, you know, you could say like, <sighs> Who on like just who on the Portland roster, Dylan Hughes, can guard Donovan Mitchell? Just just answer that one question. I mean, I think Robert Covington could guard anyone in the league, but again, at that point, then just give the ball to everyone else and you're fine. Right. So, okay, I'll just ask, what percent chance do you have of the Jazz beating the Trailblazers? Yeah, I gave it 72 and or 70 as well, I should say, <laughs> not 72. Um, it's it's just again, put put this Blazers roster in the Hall of Fame for me. Like I feel like on two K, it'd be a great team to play with. Uh, pretty much love everyone on the team, but it's just again. Well, I mean, I obviously have the health questions I talked about earlier, and well, I mean, uh, I don't have anything really to say because you said it all with their defense. But I, I do want to give a quick shout out to Gary Trent. Like this is I just I can't hold it in. I mean, 17 of 19 from the field last week, give the man some love. Okay. And he also hit a game winner. I, I feel like uh, I started the Gary Trent fan club when we talked about the Blazers or whatever, a month ago at this point, Gary Trent. Okay. And I like that trade for Portland. I love Norm Powell as well. Gary Trent, man, he's, uh, he's on his way, man. Gary Trent could not have ended in a more perfect place than my Toronto Raptors. Exactly. I, I think it's perfect for this podcast because we both love the Raptors. Me more than you. I, I, I feel comfortable saying I love the Raptors more than you do. But yeah. I think that it's they, – they kind of did as well as they could without getting a draft pick in that trade. Like that's the absolute best case scenario without getting a draft pick for Norman Powell. And I know draft picks are all the rage, but I mean when you can get a guy like Gary Trent Jr., you got to do it. And the Raptors did a great job. Like Masai, that's why he's the best <laughs> because exactly. he, he could turn Norm Powell was definitely leaving in the off season. So he turned, he turned chicken shit in this chicken salad. So shout out to Masai, um, our last team. And this team is very unlikely to play Utah, but let's just say they lose in the first play in game. And somehow this team ends up as the eighth seed, the Dallas Mavericks, what percent chance do you give the Jazz of beating the Mavericks? 50%. You, you know how I feel about the Mavericks. I don't care what's happened in the regular season. And, and, and I'm being a total hypocrite because I'm basing this completely off of one <laughs> series last year while I just trashed Donovan Mitchell and said he's not going to do the same thing. But I don't care. I'm gonna, I, I can be a hypocrite. This, this is – half of this podcast is mine, Okay. So I'm going to take my half and be a hypocrite. Hold but, on. Your, your, your percentage of the podcast is whatever Luca's shooting from the field right now. So this could come back to really bite me in the ass, but continue. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
Exactly. And and hey, we're coming off of a great game winner from Luca. So I feel like this is a great time to talk about the Mavs. But listen, man, if they were healthy last year, they would have beat the Clippers. I'm gonna drive that in the ground. They almost did it without without Porzingis anyway. So and and hell, we want to talk about injuries. Porzingis could very well get hurt. I mean, he gets hurt every year, and he has been hurt this year, but again, very, very susceptible to injuries. So I'm not gonna act like that's not out of the question. But I just think this team is better than last year. It it feels like Josh Richardson's kind of finally fitting in. Um, I still don't think it's as seamless as a fit as I expected it to be at the beginning of the year, but part of the problem is that he just plays with Luca too much. I think if, if he played more bench minutes by himself, it'd be a lot better, but I just, if you have Porzingis out there, what, what does Gobert do? He has to stay away from the rim, right? He has to because Porzingis, when he's hot, he's hot. You can't just leave him out there. And, and like the, that's the thing about Dallas is they can completely space you out because if they play Porzingis at the five, then, or Kleba, I mean, Kleba's going to be out on the perimeter. Everyone is. And then, so you're giving all those, all that lane space to Luca and all those shooters out there. I mean, we, you can talk about Utah shooting all you want and that's a very, like very valid. They're, you know, probably the best three point shooting team in the league right now have they could space you out too completely outside of Gobert, but I mean Luca with four shooters next to him, I'm just I'm gonna I'm gonna give them a, a great chance. And I'm not gonna give them the edge, but I would be surprised if they didn't go seven if everyone's healthy. Yeah. So I don't think Dallas is falling to eight, first of all. I think that Luca in a one game to get the seven seed is going to get the seven seed. <laughs> Although and I think I really like Dallas. I, after watching more and more Dallas, I really like Dallas's chances against Phoenix. I don't know why. I'm not. I'm. Listen, this is one area where you and I diverge. I am nowhere near as high on Dallas as you are, but that's just because you're really high on Dallas. You really love them. Like they're your Mavericks. Let's just, let's make that clear. By the way, um, it's forty eight point six percent your podcast, and then fifty one. I'm just kidding. It's it's vulnerable. <laughs> um, we'll go to court over that, sir. I give the Mavericks or I give the Jazz a 60% chance of beating the Mavericks. I just don't trust the Mavs defense enough, but Luca and Chris Stapps intrigues me very much against the Jazz because that's the exact, like that's the exact combination that the Lakers have, but worse <laughs> in LeBron and AD and Luca and Chris Stapps can stretch the floor. And I want to see, yeah, you're right. I want to see Gobert defend in space. Obviously again, this series is very unlikely to happen. I will add that caveat of, couple more times but man Luca would torch this jazz defense because as good as as good as O'Neal is and as good as Ingles is I think Ingles could actually provide some problems for Luca but no one is like listen if Kawhi PG and Marcus Morris couldn't shut down Luca in last year's playoffs I'm just starting to think no one can so and again we're basing it off one series but the one series from Luca had a lot of different circumstances in the one series from Donovan Mitchell. So we're not going to talk about the Grizzlies because let's face it, it's a hundred percent chance the Jazz beat the Grizzlies in the first round. <laughs> I don't think there's any dispute there. Um, so let's go ahead and move on to what was supposed to be our second big picture question, but now is our last. And for Donovan Mitchell's future development, he is not, he is still, this is the last year of his rookie contract and he's still very young in the league, but 
Do you think for his future development, do you think it's more important that his pull-up jumper gets better or that his passing vision gets better? So this is a very easy question for me to answer because I think pull-up shooting for a, 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 a ball handler is the most important trait you can have because a pull-up shooter opens up everything. It opens up everything. And my example, aside from, you know, maybe Steph Curry, <laughs> I think Steph Curry has proven that having a, a pull-up jumper is pretty good. But look at Victor Oladipo when he was shooting well to, to when he's not. When he – the first half season he was with the Pacers when he was hitting, you know, 40% from three for the first time in his career, he was playing so well because he was using that pull-up jump shot to get defenders up in the air and just drive right past him. And ever since then, when his shot has come back to earth, he hasn't had the same efficiency because he's the shots he wants at the rim are heavily contested because there's more defenders in the way. No one is going for that pull-up jump shot because they know he's not going to hit it at a good level. And so if you have a pull-up jump shot, you don't need to have a great passing vision. It's just going to be a lot easier to pass naturally. You're going to have no defender in your face because they're behind you at the three-point line. And you're probably going to have a bunch of help defenders rushing to you. So you're just going to have at least one guy open. So it's it's not even going to – you don't need elite passing vision because you don't need to create passes. They're just going to be there naturally because you've scrambled the defense. And this is why I always talk about this with guards. Pull-up shooting and penetration – if you have those two things, you're set because you're going to have help defenders scrambling. And when you have help defenders scrambling, someone's open. So as long as you're able to find that open guy, then you're going to get a wide open three every time. All right. So here's a question for you. So right now I have NBA.com slash stats pulled up and on pull-up jumpers, Donovan Mitchell is taking 5.43 pull-up threes a game. He's making 36% of them. And on the whole, he is taking 10 pull-ups a game is making about 40% of them. So obviously the threes comprise a good majority of those pull-ups. What percent from three, like what percent in general and what percent from three would you say Donovan Mitchell needs to be at for him to be better? It feels like the pull-up jumper is pretty good for Donovan Mitchell at this point. Like, I feel like it's almost there, but like what percentage do you feel like it needs to be at for him to be at that upper echelon of guards? It's definitely very close. And honestly, 36% from three is not bad. It obviously the higher the better. If he could get to 38 or 39, he he would be one of the best guards in the league, undoubtedly. Because if you're hitting at that rate, then you're getting easy looks at the rim every single time. So you're either knocking down pull-up threes at a very good rate, or you have four defenders in front of you instead of five. And so he's he's pretty close, but again, 36 is not bad. And I, you know, 40% again, a lot of that is represented by the threes. And I I would love to see just a pure two percent or a two point percentage on that. But I mean, I think a good a good two point percentage in general for jumpers is like upper 40s. If you're upper 40s, you're great. So I would imagine that he's probably not far off of that because the three-point will knock it down pretty low. But, I mean, just just from the eye test, I, I don't think he's far away. And, like, look at what we saw in the playoffs last year. 
that explosion was him hitting pull-up jump shots. So that that just shows right there what it can do for his game. And I think this year we've seen a lot of that too. So yeah, I, I, I think he's I think he's probably pretty close. So okay. So Damian Lillard right now is the leader in three point pull up attempts per game. 8.3, making 35%. James Harden, 6.8, 35%. Luka Doncic, 6.6, 37.6%. Steph Curry, not fucking human, 41.8% on 6.5 attempts a game. <laughs> and of course, right? Like, of course. Yeah, of course. CJ, only 29 games, but um, 37.4% on 6.3 attempts a game. I mean, so the two-point percentage for Donovan on pull-ups is 43%. Pretty good. Like, I mean, it could yeah. be a little better, but I also would like to see like, um, this obviously doesn't detail like zones or anything. I'd like to see like top of the key, you know, the circle area. I think he's pretty close and you're right. The pull-up jumper does unlock a lot, unlock a lot. Ugh, try saying that 10 times fast, but <laughs> I think he's almost there, Dylan. Like, I think that Donovan Mitchell can be a top 20 player. I think he's really damn close. And I think obviously playing with Gobert unlocks a lot for him right? Because you get the, the vertical threat, but man, making 35% of your pull-up threes is pretty good. I feel like, or 36%, excuse me. I think he's doing pretty well, pretty well, Dylan. I think he's almost there in terms of being a superstar, not like maybe full fledged by like Harden or something, but like the next tier down, right? I, get, I think he's really close. Yeah. And, and, you know, I mean, I just, I just talked about how unlikely it is for him to have a playoff series like last year, but if he does, or at least it's just good. I mean, if he's like near 30 points, I mean, that's, that's huge because look at, I think, look at the opinion of, of Jokic, how it changed based on that series against the Blazers a few years ago. I mean, it was very clear that he was the only one in that series that was keeping him in it. And that's where he gained respect around the league. And that's, I mean, that's what it does. And, like the playoffs are everything. I I mean, I'm at a point, especially with all the resting, I don't care what happens in the regular season anymore. Like the, the best teams in the league, especially net the nets, which to be fair, they have like everyone on their team is over 30 pretty much, but they're, they're resting half their roster every night. So it's like, I'm not going to take away anything from their regular season. And you know, that's, it's mostly the nets doing that. So I shouldn't act like it's a, it's an everyone thing, but the playoffs, that's it. Like, that's that's what matters. And if Mitchell can have another good postseason, again, it doesn't have to be like last year, but just have a really solid postseason, then I think it would it would kind of catapult him into that next tier for me and, and probably a lot of other people. I think that's a good way to close it off. Um, Dylan Hughes, thank you. Thank you so much. This was a long one because we had a lot to cover. But I think this one was probably one of our best ones. And that's saying something. Like, I feel like I say that every week. But I really, really think we had a good show today. Even though this currently, I believe, we're at the hour 59 mark. <laughs> so, um, listen, Dylan Hughes, you you did two long podcasts this week between this and Divine Rhyme. Tell us how a Divine Rhyme episode two was about Cole World and Born Center. Yeah, so, man, I'm clocking in at over four hours of podcasts this week. When you, when you throw JDs in there just gets me right over this. So I'm, I'm, a uh, I'm putting my time in this week, but yeah, divine rhyme, man, like really two episodes in, it, it feels like we've been, we've been talking about this stuff for months. Like me and Will 
have a great chemistry and like the the first two episodes every time we finish up we're just both giddy because it just is very free-flowing conversation and really good and yeah i think this week was really good last week we were i think we talked a lot more about the life lessons that we kind of had from ourselves but this week the music was so good we i mean we talked for an hour over an hour just about born center i think it was an hour 20 just on born center yeah so i mean it was it was a really fun week i think i think we did a great job breaking the songs down and uh i had a great time this week listen i don't remember a whole lot of shows second episodes hell i don't remember a whole lot of shows first episodes we've been doing this for like a year now and linsanity came out it's been almost a year since the first linsanity which was the first other show on our network but for the first two episodes and i'm not just speaking here because you know i have a very vested interest in this I thought that they were two of the best first episodes you could ask for. I it really covered all the bases. And yes, the uh, the divine rhyme was as long as this episode was. But I think that you really cover you guys really covered all the bases you need to cover. And I thought it was really is really well done. So make sure you check out Divine Rhyme. The one area that I wish Will had done, and I know I know Will doesn't know that this is expected of him, but um, Dylan, you know it's coming. Listen. From one young soul to another, Dylan. How much? How much is the? How much does it cost to buy the book? Seven dollars paperback, five for the ebook. Are you? Are you telling me you don't have seven dollars, bro? Come on, man. Like seriously, like dude. I I'm just sick of it, man. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go into your house. I'm going to take every other pair, like every other shoe you have. You're not gonna have any pairs anymore. You're only gonna have left-footed shoes. Okay, I'm sick of this shit. All right, buy the goddamn book. Listen, you not Dylan. You agree? It would be very inconvenient for you only to have left shoes and no pairs. That just hit me so hard. I was like, man. I mean, seven dollars for the price of having both shoes. I, I can't think of a better deal. <laughs> I mean, like, listen, and it'll cost you a lot more than that. And listen, you can't even. I don't even think you can buy a single shoe. I think you have to buy a pair. Like, listen, it's not that hard. Just buy the goddamn book. Come on now. I'm asking you to support support the family here, you know? I'm not, I'm not asking you to do a whole lot, so. <laughs> and then uh, Dylan Hughes, you're very active on the YouTubes nowadays. Um, Life with Dylan, right? That's the name with the uh, YouTube channel. So yes. Make sure a lot of stuff going on there. The newsletter, Dylan Hughes. Uh, very original name, very original. Uh, make sure you subscribe to that as well. And our other stuff on the Running Hook Podcast Network as well. We got a, we got a lot of stuff. Zach is going to have a very busy week this week. He was back with Falcon and the Winter Soldier by himself because I was in a little bit of a snafu. So he was back with another director's commentary. So make sure you check that out. He's back with Road to Fast 9 with Bryce Shaddy and Devin Foss. Um, Fast 4, which is considered the worst installment of the franchise. I po- The clip I posted on Twitter today has Devin Voss saying the plot sucks. So, you know, very complimentary. And then he is going to do a favorite or not a favorite movies. He's doing favorite movies with Dylan Hughes sometime in the future. It sounds like, so that'll be fun. Um, Dylan, it sounds like since like Zach is, uh, Zach says you haven't picked your movie yet. So I think we'll be, you have your favorite movie Dylan Hughes. I I actually have decided earlier today what I'm going to do. I haven't talked to Zach yet, but I, I have made my decision. So that'll, That'll hopefully be on the schedule pretty soon. Give us the reveal, Dylan Hughes. We don't want Zach to have it. I want to have it before Zach has it. So, you know, I was thinking, because I had a I had a final group. I'm like, what what would be the best discussion? 
And listen, man, it's Parasite, okay? I And I'm not a huge subtitles guy because I don't want to have to read when I'm watching a movie. But, man, come on. Parasite is one of the best movies ever made. I don't care what anyone has to say. Probably some recency bias in there. But listen, man, that was just a beautifully done, very unique. I always like the unique movies. Very unique movie. So I'm going with Parasite. Great choice. Great choice. I'll, uh, I won't. I'll tell Zach to fast forward to the end of the podcast to find out what your favorite movie is. I'll, I'll give you that satisfaction, Dylan. Um, and then also, I wanted to get that out of the way. He also, um, Zach is recording right now, I believe, with Ryan Gregory, Devin Voss, and Bryce Shaddy. They're doing a sports movie draft. Mm. So that should be that should be fun to see what, how the limits of sports movie is stretched <laughs> in that podcast. Um, Lynn Sanity is taking a little bit of a hiatus right now. Caleb is going to be back with NBA coverage, and then he's also going to do a... a NFL draft crossover with triple option pass. Speaking of triple option pass back this week with offensive prospects, Dylan Hughes. <laughs> um, we bashed Justin Fields, but could you imagine someone taking Mac Jones over Justin Fields? I know, I know you're not like the world's biggest Justin Fields fan, but even you have to be insulted by that notion. Okay. Well here I, I have, I'm not going to say I've come around on Justin Fields completely, but if he goes to San Francisco, he's going to be awesome. I have no doubts about that. Look at what he, look at what Shanahan did for Matt Ryan. Matt Ryan was so close to being MVP Super Bowl same year, so close, and that was purely because of Shanahan. I mean, that was very clearly like, and Matt, I've liked Matt Ryan for a long time, but I mean, he was never that good, and he hasn't been since, and he probably never will be. Mac Jones. I think Mac Jones would be fine there too, but you don't freaking trade up to three to get that guy. You, you trade up to three to get Justin Fields. Like Justin Fields is not going to slip. And I, again, I think Justin Fields is a little bit overrated, but I still, I still think he can be a fine quarterback and, and getting in the San Francisco system, he would be great. I think. Oh, and that's a beautiful way to put it. Um, yeah, Dylan Hughes is not on Triple Option Pass, but if you want some amazing draft coverage, go make sure you check out Triple Option Pass. They'll be back next week with uh, defensive prospects, so that'll be fun. And then Battleground, they'll be back sometime in the future. Who knows at this point? Where there's a lot of there's a lot of balls in there, and I think that's everything I touched. I wanted to touch on. So, Dylan Hughes, once again, thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. All right, stamping this on yet again in a time-honored tradition of the Power Hour for getting to say our teams while we're recording the main pod. Our teams for the next week are the Bucks, who we skipped this week, the Detroit Pistons, who we talked about earlier, a lot of Central Division teams the last couple of weeks, Stone Hughes, and then the teams whose defense we absolutely ripped to shreds, the Portland Trailblazers. So, folks, um, that's going to be an exciting time. Make sure you check out those teams, and thank you. thanks again for listening. Yeah.